Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Dualistic Unity. I am Andrew. And I am Ray. This is going to be an excellent episode. Episode 11. And we are, oddly enough, going to be returning back to a conversation that we started at in episode one, two, and three, which was on the topic of the psychedelic experience and the subjective reality. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, so just to get right into it, um, this weekend I did some mushrooms and some higher dosages, and um, on Saturday I did uh, three and a half grams with a one gram kicker after an hour. Um, and then I was, <laughs> I took that around 2 PM and then I had friends texting me on the come up and I was like, can't deal with this. Nope. And I put my phone on airplane mode and put it in the other room, just went into my bedroom. And then I, you know, a few hours later I responded to them and they were going out and I was like, yeah, I'll come out. Like I'm fine now. And I didn't drink anything at all, but was out, you know, at bars, just having a good time talking to people. And it was funny because you've mentioned that um, I think before the first time I tried, you're like small talk can get, you you won't want any of that basically. And I was starting to have, you know, I was at a party with a bunch of people I didn't know. So a lot of small talk going on. And so I started just like slipping in different deeper conversational topics and it started to be a lot of fun. And one of my friends <clears throat> likes kind of messing with people and just kind of seeing what happens, just tossing in, like saying ridiculous things, just seeing how people react for the fun of it. And so we were both kind of doing a little bit of that and bouncing off each other. And it was a lot of fun. And so we can get into that um, sort of experience I had before, you know, going out with friends, because that was interesting. And then um, when I was out with friends, I have a few, I was out with a few of my best friends and they're always, people are always wondering about mushrooms when they talk to me. Cause I am very open about taking it and my experiences with it. Um, so two of them, they had both tried smaller dosages, but never, um, really tripped. So we took, I was like, why don't we just do it tomorrow? We're not doing anything. So, um, we took three grams and that was the most profound experience I have had on them. I went, I texted Ray about this yesterday, but the only way I could describe it was talking to God, like as, which was also myself and also everything. And, and it was like, I was thousands of miles within myself almost. And it was like, there was like thousands of miles away. There was a light that was like my eyes seeing out into the universe. And yeah, so that was just real quick intro to, to what happened, but we can, you know, get into parts of that. And absolutely. Well, and I have to ask, you know, um, how, how was the experience of those who went with you? Because typically that that's what happens at higher dosages is that everybody's walls come down and all of a sudden the division that we normally maintain psychologically and cerebrally isn't there. And so you have people in those experiences talking about telepathic experiences, being able to actually communicate with the other people in the room without any language at all. And I know I've had that experience myself and it's largely because that's always the case. It's just that we are completely disconnected from it because we're so involved with the character, right? So I'd be curious to see how your friends responded to that experience. Yeah. So I'll, I will talk about theirs, but you just saying that just now reminded me 
of something that happened that I didn't even think was like necessarily a telepathic thing, but looking back, it was. So we stayed in my friend's apartment pretty much the first three to four hours. And then we ventured out to get some food. And then it, it was dark by then. It was about 6 p.m. probably. And there was this guy sitting. Uh, we were walking into like a CVS pharmacy. Uh, there was like a little grocery shop. And there was a guy sitting on a bench and he was facing CVS and it was lit. So it was almost like we were seeing his back and it was just a silhouette. And he had like a top hat and kind of these enthralled things. And I looked up and I couldn't tell if he was facing us or not. And it was kind of this sort of freaky looking thing. And as I, that thought hit me, my friend said, is that guy facing us? And then my other friend was thinking the same thing. And we all died laughing. Like we started crying. Like we couldn't, I couldn't even like breathe for probably 10 seconds because it was so like spot on. Yeah. It was the moment I thought it, he said it as if I said it. And then my other friend thought the same exact thing. It was, it was crazy. Yeah. And it's funny because normally when people have those experiences, the first thing they do is say, so, so did I cause them to have that thought or did they cause me to have that thought? My only response is, what do you mean by I and them? Yeah, that's what it was like. It it was crazy. And, And I didn't even think about that aspect of it until you mentioned it just now because that was I'll never forget that scene and then my friend saying it next to me we almost could we almost like couldn't even walk into CVS after that we just had lost control (laughs) and and we had already been in a deli and we were just like sitting at the table just like having fun with that and it was it was just a a fun time for there were two of my best friends so it was it was a very enjoyable experience but um, before them, they had a little bit of a tougher time on the come up with the digestion of it. They got, and I was admittedly like a little bit queasy also. So I don't know if it was something we all ate beforehand or some way that it was getting digested, but they, they were like one of them almost threw up, I think kind of on the way up. And I knew like I had felt that before. So I was like, I know this is going to Pass, so I wasn't too worried about it, but they were like, like one of them was like sweating. And I was, I was like, it'll like it, it take it may take about an hour, but it it gets better. I promise. Um, just trying to explain to them, like you're supposed to feel this way. It's not like you know a bad thing. It's not abnormal to feel like this. Just kind of reassuring that it's not. They're not like having a bad trip necessarily. Yeah. It's hard when when people are are predominantly. Uh, physical in terms of their mentality when they spend a lot of time focusing on their body day to day and you think of yourself as a body day to day and all of a sudden you you do take a substance which is essentially a poison um and and you start to panic a little and, and your body starts to feel real different and and so yeah when your certainty is based on your body awareness it can really throw you and then that resistance can make the stomach things so much worse right because you're just your, your stomach's just tying up in knots it's resisting the whole process which which doesn't help so it was good that they had you there to, to walk them through it and remind them like you know whatever it is you're you're afraid of it's going to be gone like 15 minutes just sit down yeah 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 that's pretty much what i tried to do and then another thing that we had some other friends who the night before were talking about doing it and then they ended up not wanting to but they still wanted to hang out with us and they were texting us like right before we were going to take it my other two friends who hadn't really experienced it as much they were like 
like they can, they can probably come over. It's probably fine. I was like, Nope, no, not a, not a good idea. Not this situation. And they were like, all right, we, we trust you. And then afterwards they were like, thank fucking God we listened to you. Holy shit. That would have been. And we were talking about like what would have happened if they had come over. Cause there was a period for probably close to an hour where none of us said anything like I had my eyes closed for a while. My other friend had his eyes closed and like there was no words being said. So we were thinking like there are two situations that we thought would have been so funny. Well, if our friends had come over, they probably just would have left. They probably, cause there was, there was silence. We were watching football like as we took them. And then we were like, this is TV is way too much right now. Way too much stimulation. I've never cared less about a football game in my entire life. <laughs> and, and so if they had been there, they probably just would have left. And then when we were like an hour in, when we were all, I was playing softly playing the Beatles. And then we were all just kind of like very much not in our bodies as much. And if, if, um someone had walked through the door in that situation like it would have been funny but also just like not enjoyable for anyone necessarily but yeah or enjoyable for completely misunderstandable reasons right like i i've been in those situations where i've just had the best time just based on how confused everybody around me looked by my lack of of giving a shit like it was just people would comment because when I was younger and I'm going to preface this when I was much younger, um, I would, I would go to work in that state and yeah, at work, I would just be a happy little, you know, boiling bubble, just kind of walking around the office, making everybody else happy because I had nothing to hold on to. I had no reason to be unhappy. And so I was just bubbling around and, and people would often wonder like, what is this about? And then they try and get into a conversation to which I would go, Ooh, let's go a layer deeper. Right. Because it's fun to do that. And, and so, yeah, no, it's an interesting experience. And, and it is very difficult to comprehend when you're not when you're not either in that experience or you don't have experience being in that that mindset and you run across people who are there. You can't comprehend at all. It just seems like their timing is way off. That, that's all it is. And what's funny is I've had people feel paranoid, like, oh, I don't want to go around people who are sober because you know, they might judge me. It's like, at the most, they're just going to be really confused as to why you're quiet and, and not that stressed out. That's really it. That's all they're going to feel. And it's true. They just don't understand why your timing's off, why you're not responding the same way. Yeah. I found that actually sort of exact situation at the party we went to, we went to first before we went to a bar to a pregame. And I was, this was probably on hour five or six. So I was, I was like very much comfortable in any sort of situation, but I was still in yeah an altered state of mind to a degree. And I was sitting there just kind of on the couch, just kind of observing things, not really having any need to talk to anyone. And then I started talking to someone and then there's just not much more to say. And then I, I was just like hanging out there and I could kind of feel them like feeling uncomfortable. And I was just had, I was like very, very relaxed, which I am without the mushrooms now in most situations, but it was like, I could feel them feeling like something needed to be said. Another thing needed to be brought up. And eventually they just stood up and went to another part of the party. And I was just hanging out there, just kind of looking around the room, like probably with a smile on my face, but. Well, it's funny. We run into that mentality, right? Where it's, we exist in time so much that 
the idea of just sitting down without having the thought in your head of what I'm going to do next, where I'm going to go next, when this time period sitting here is, has run its course, right? Like I've, all right, I've sat here too long now. Everybody's feeling awkward. So I'm going to go. Right. But when you're in that state, you don't care. You're like, I don't feel awkward. Do you feel awkward? Sounds like you're thinking about time. Right. And you don't worry about it. And that's, that's very much the difference. It's because everybody, everybody gets into this dance where it's like, we all agree we're in time. We all agree we have shit to do. We all agree, you know, there are other, there are timings that we, that we, you know, kind of all live according to in a conversation. You can feel it when you're having a conversation. It's very much like a dance if you can get into that flow. But yeah, when you're, when you're no longer listening to the music, right. When you're, when you're just sitting in the dance floor going, this is a really nice room. Nobody knows what to do with you. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. And that, that idea of being in the dance or side sort of like caught in the societal norms. I actually had uh, an episode of my own podcast Uh, today. I uh, interviewed or had a guy on who creates um, like food related TikTok, and he's into like health and fitness stuff. And we were talking about, getting caught up because he worked in investment banking for two years and then, and now um, sort of had this idea of creating his own uh, beverage company. And then he does content as well. And he is fully like, he quit his job uh, a few months ago and is now just doing that. And we were talking about balancing, you know, having a full-time job and working on that because he was working on all of this while he had that full-time job. And we were talking about how society has kind of created this norm of just doing the job and then, you know, going out on the weekends and not really setting aside any time for yourself, just kind of like getting caught up in that dance of, of society and thinking like that's normal and feeling uncomfortable. If you don't do that, feeling uncomfortable, if you stay in one night with no plans or no reason to stay in that you're not going out. And so we were talking about that whole idea of how most people just get caught up in that and it's uncomfortable to get out of it. And it's sort of crazy that it's like a thing to not be in that and people less so now, I think it's becoming more and more normalized, but I'm sure, you know, 40 years ago, it was probably absolutely insane to not be on that sort of track of like living, you know, the American dream, graduating college, working at a company for 40 years and then retiring. And why aren't you out there, you know, having a social life with all the people in your circle and, and all of that. And yeah. It, well, the pandemic's changed a lot in, in that way. Right. Cause a lot of people all of a sudden who at one point beat themselves up for not being out or, or, or judge themselves for not being social enough were suddenly given basically a, a note saying, no, no, you're good. Stay home, chill, take care of yourself. And so some people resisted that because of course, again, our, when our value is rooted in how we fit into society, it can be very jarring when we all of a sudden we're not playing that role anymore and we don't know how to evaluate ourselves. But other people went, oh, after that initial discomfort, they started going, I actually enjoy being by myself. And it was because they always avoided the discomfort society promotes the idea of, well, if you're uncomfortable alone, you should get out and hang out with people. You should go out and party, you know, distract yourself, do all that. Whereas, you know, from mental health, uh, a mental health perspective, sitting in that isolation, sitting in that aloneness is often exactly what you need to do just to start, you know, clearing out the cobwebs of your own self-judgment, clearing out the cobwebs of, of the thoughts that you've been holding on to habitually, 
rather than for any good justifiable reason. And so, yeah, the pandemic is very much changing that. And as a result, people who are going out now into social circles are bringing a whole new conversation with them. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to change our society as we go forward, because, you know, in the same way that all of our other collective normals are, are altered by uh, the, the percentage of the population that is uh, practicing it, this conversation is going to become more normal as more of us have this conversation, as more of us start to look at the world through our own eyes, rather than the, the perspective of what we're supposed to be doing based on those who came before us. So that conversation is changing and it's very interesting to watch, but it's like everything else, you know, the new normal has to be defined and, and that new normal at the moment isn't defined. Nobody's quite sure what to do. Nobody's sure if we're going back to you know, life as, as it used to be, or if we're going to continue in this pandemic, or if we're going to continue with some other new normal due to climate change, like everything's up in the air. And so, I mean, at the, at the moment, the new normal, which is great for this conversation is uncertainty. Yeah, it's almost like just thinking because we don't know, even even pandemic wise, like when things are going to be more like they were in 2019, it's almost like you can't plan as much for the future. So it's almost like I guess you can a lot of people take that as just negative and they're they're mad about it and everything. But it also kind of knocks you more into the here and now a little bit more easily, which I think it certainly has for me. Like I, I have some ideas of, of next year, what I want to do. And I'll start probably making some plans for early in the year, like some trips or something. But for the most part, I'm just kind of flowing with things. And it's it's been an awesome practice. And I think another thing when you brought up uh, discomfort and how people they, they think, I don't know if they think that overcoming discomfort can be uh, achieved through avoiding it, but it's almost like that is the standard and they never or probably rarely think to go into that, that overcoming the discomfort is through feeling the discomfort and feeling it until it's no, it's almost like feeling it until it's no longer there and it becomes comfortable. Like transmuting that discomfort into comfort because you allow it to be and you accept it as opposed to just trying to suppress it by, you know, if you're uncomfortable by yourself, you go out and be with people. That is the avoidance of it rather than being by yourself until it becomes comfortable. And then you can do either and there's no avoidance of anything. And no danger, right? Because if you're hanging out with people to avoid being by yourself, now that becomes a need. Now, all of a sudden, you're acting different to keep people around. Now, all of a sudden, you're changing your behavior in order to, con to continue avoiding that isolation. So now you're becoming a people pleaser without even meaning to. Now, all of a sudden, you're going into toxic relationships without even meaning to. And it's all based on that, that initial avoidance, right? So, yeah, the best thing you can do for everybody is to be good being you by yourself and then bring that to them so they can be good being them with you as company. Right. But we often try and, and make it like if we're just together, we can we can ride this out together. We're in this together. It's like we are and we're not. We're, we're in this together in that we're all on this planet sharing this this tapestry. Right. But you're in this on your own in that you are solely responsible for your impact. You are solely responsible for the ripples that you make and then the internal experience that you cultivate. So as soon as we take responsibility for that, then all of a sudden we can have an army of individuals being indivisible. Yeah, 
Certainly. And, and even thinking of the situation, like at the, at a party, if you're, you know, in a group of people talking to people, whatever, and then all of a sudden, you know, people start walking around, having other conversations and you're by yourself, all of a sudden that will inflict extreme fear and anxiety and worry because you're by yourself. You're wondering how people are thinking about you because all of a sudden you're by yourself. So you immediately, you know, try and latch on to some other conversation or, or, you know, slide yourself in somewhere else, as opposed to just being there with nothing to hold on to, nothing to defend, nothing to hide, nothing to gain. And just being there. And, and I think people subconsciously, you know, see that in people, they can tell if someone by themselves is fine by themselves, or they're extremely uncomfortable by themselves. You can almost feel it in a way. You absolutely can feel it. We talked about this previously about how even just the human heart sends out uh, a measurable wave for up to two meters right? And the heart rate's constantly changing based on our psychological and our emotional state. And so, I mean, we walk into a room and we wonder why we feel a vibe. It's like, well, we're getting pounded by other people's heartbeats and waves. Like we have some degree of sensitivity to that, right? So we absolutely do have the the capacity to build that sensitivity to where other people are in their head. Um, And I know it's something that I've, I have focused on, on honing over my lifetime um, to the point where within a few minutes of a conversation, I can typically I can feel whether or not that person is trying to self-soothe or whether they're actually there with me and for their own reasons. And, and that is something that, see, people would call this being an empath, but I, I, I don't because that's another lab, label that can quickly become self-defining. And then all of a sudden you're an empath and other people aren't. And then and, and it just creates, a, everything is, is a spectrum. Everything is gradations of change, right? So the more you're willing to surrender your idea of yourself, the more sensitivity you have for the world as it actually is, because you're not reinforcing an illusion that is only in your mind. You're actually in the world, right? So that's not so much being an empath so much as just not building up walls around you that block you from experiencing life. Right. But yeah, I've had many, many people um, of that mindset who have come up to me and it's, it's at first it used to amaze me. Now it's just kind of funny Um, within a few minutes. They're like, Oh, I don't get any icky feelings from you. Or it's like, Oh, I feel like I can totally tell you everything. People have said this numerous times. I feel like I've known you forever. And, and it's just because there's no walls. There's no, there's no me making it awkward. There's no me to create that conflict. And so I'm just flowing with them in whatever state they're in. And as a result, it becomes easier to talk to me, right? But people can feel when you're bringing yourself into the conversation, whether they realize it or not. Like you watch, you know, sometimes if somebody who is particularly selfish goes into a conversation where a bunch of people are just chilling, shooting the breeze, everybody just shuts down. And it's like, that's interesting because it's, it's bringing in a totally different energy into that flow and it's causing the entire environment to change. Yeah, that that last thing you said made me think of this situation. Uh, maybe a month ago, I got uh, dinner. Uh, it was at a bar, so it was very casual with uh, a few of my college friends. I think it was six of us who all played on my baseball team. And um, there was a girl or two girls who saw us, and it was after we had been there for a while, and they just like wanted to talk to us. But they like we 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 all live in New York, but we don't see each other all the time. It's not like my super close friends. So I haven't 
I hadn't seen a lot of them since before the pandemic. And he's, this girl comes over and starts having this conversation, like talking about herself in with us. And we were all like looking at each other, like, holy fucking shit, is this actually happening right now? And, you know, I was, I was like responding to her, but kind of like, letting her know that this is ridiculous that she is doing this right now. So we were like, you know, being nice, but half of half of them just like stopped like being involved in the conversation at all. And then it took a while for her to like catch on the how, and I think maybe she, I think she was a little bit drunk and she had, you know, this, she probably like mustered up some confidence to come over and then felt a little bit uncomfortable because, you know, we were talking about stuff that she wasn't, you know, couldn't insert herself into that. So she kind of like created her own conversation and it was, it was ridiculous, but it was very much that sort of situation. Yeah. It's uh, I'm going to bring my idea of, into, of myself into this because that's where I established my value. And it always, it always feels off. It's funny. I, I uh, reposted an old TikTok video today where it was something along the lines of, you know, there, there is no problem or there's nothing wrong with self-validating except that it reinforces the reason you think you need to. And it's because you are validating your fiction of yourself. You're, you're maintaining your reliance on your idea of who you are as a measure of your value. So yeah, you can self-validate. You can go, you know, I'm worthy, I'm valuable, I, I, you know, and all of that. But as soon as you do, you're relying on that idea of yourself again. And, and yeah, all of that's true, but you don't need to think about it. You can actually just embody it by moving forward. You don't have to self-validate a value that is beyond question and beyond measure. So then it's almost like you rely on that action as opposed to be, it's like an action on top of being so that you need now in order to feel good about being, whereas you can just, you know, cut it out and just be. Yeah, absolutely. Right? There's yeah. no so, back until you try to fill the hole, right? Yeah. As soon as you try to fill the hole, you've made a hole. Yeah. So a question that has, uh, it's probably going to rattle my own cage a little bit, but I've almost been like, I think I'd know you have a stance on this and it's something that I, with gratitude. And is that a form of self-validation in that way? Can it be? Yes. Whereas you are, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I meant to bring that up because I'm like, I know Ray is, is, has a stance on this and part of me like doesn't want to hear it because it's been like a part of videos I post, but like, I know it's there and like, it's, it's better for me to know that, you know? Well, let's think yeah. about it. Like, uh, so you went out the other night and you were just sitting there kind of grooving as to where you were, the state that you were in, were you deliberately thinking about things to be grateful for? No. No. And how did you feel? Did you feel pretty stoked to exist? Yes. And it had nothing to do with any cerebral action for any conceptual thing to be grateful for or for you being grateful for a certain thing. There was none of that. It was just the experience of being. That is way beyond gratitude. That goes, that goes beyond being grateful for what I have to the genuine recognition that what I am with my reality is exactly what I meant to be. And that is not about gratitude so much as just alignment and, and, and surrender. 
right? And we describe that emotion as gratitude. We describe that emotion as enthusiasm. We describe that emotion as peace, right? But those are all just words for the same state of being that is everything that we want to aspire to when we're lost in our mind and is only we're only capable of feeling when we can recognize that our mind is just an illusion. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like it's it's something besides being that you're relying on. Like it's another action, it's another idea, it's another concept, it's another, you know, practice that I think I think there's, you know, I think there's levels to it as we've talked about. Like if you are deep in the shit of anxiety and worry and depression, like incorporating some gratitude into your life may be a way that you start like climbing those rungs, but there comes a point where you are, you, you kind of like take off the training wheels or, you know, you graduate from certain things. And I think there are things like gratitude and meditation that are awesome tools for people sort of climbing their way out of the shit and then eventually they are out of it. And then it's like, they are able to set that aside and embody, be that embodiment, be that manifestation of what is, and they don't have to rely on concepts or ideas anymore. Yeah, that's it. You're building it. Everything changes according to, to where we are in our journey, right? So um, back in 2010, I, I wrote an ebook called The Seven Stages to Limitless Living. I actually just posted it on our website for a few bucks, and it's, uh, it's available to our Patreon supporters for free. But in that, I, I discuss uh, um, exercise called balancing. And essentially, it's for when you're first starting in this, when you're digging your way out of your mind and, and, and your habits and your emotions and all that. So if you tend to be a negative person, look at the positive reflection of that perspective, just, just to acknowledge that it exists and that from the perspective of, or from the point of view of somebody who's in that perspective, it's completely valid. But the same is true if you tend to be too positive. If you're positive all the time, look at the other perspective, look at the negatives, look at what could go wrong as well as could, what could go right. And the reason is so that we, you don't rely on one side or the other for a sense of certainty, for a sense of stability, for a sense of, of who you are. You start to question it. And as a result, you start to gain more context in your journey and you start to gain more clarity about how one side affects the other side. So you can walk in the middle. So you can actually practice that, that neutrality that lies between one side and the other. But it is a journey where if you are lost in darkness, yeah, you, you need to start looking for the light a little bit, you know, but the same is true. If, it, if you're so committed to the love and light side of things that the very idea of negativity or, or of argument actually sets you, like makes you uncomfortable, then you should go and, and explore that side as well, because they're both valid perspectives of what is in that they are illusions of what is. They're just perspectives, right? So if you're if you're going to rely on perspective for truth, then you're in deep shit. So you may as well just start balancing out, you know, the recognition that both sides are valid from the perceiver's perspective. Yeah, I think I think I came across a video once where you said being positive all the time is just being negative about being negative or something. <laughs> I I really like that cuz I think there comes a point where yeah, you're so positive and and there are people out there that just kind of make you uncomfortable a little bit when they're so positive about everything it's like like you kind of like want to knock on them and be like you know is there anything you know of substance in there are you just kind of regurgitating things that you hear all the time and i feel like 
there's gotta be 99% of the time with those people, like some deeply suppressed things in there. Like some, some, one of my friends came up with the term DSI for deep seated insecurity. And so he casually says that when someone's, you know, you know, acting a certain way, that's very insecure. He's like, Oh, they have, they just have some DSIs. Like it's all, it's all good. Like it's, it's okay. But yeah, I think, I don't know. Do you think there are people who are just that positive all the time? I I'm sure there's some, but I feel like a lot of them are just, it's just a mask of suppression. When it's positivity, it is. It's all like positivity is, is um, it only works so long as you're thinking about good and bad, positive and negative. It doesn't work if, if you have any degree of clarity, because as soon as you have any degree of clarity, you realize that one side doesn't work without the other. You can't in fact experience happiness without experiencing sadness at some point that they just, they go together. And so the people who are quote unquote positive are usually positive until things go completely wrong and out of their control. And then they just melt down. And so a lot of their positivity goes, it's either based on the level of security, which is why often the really positive people are often um, the people who are particularly comfortable or privileged, for example. Um, But there's also the aspect of it where it's, you know, I'm just going to continue to tell myself these positive things because it keeps me out of this deep, dark, dark hole that I would otherwise be in. And so it becomes a, a balancing act to basically uh, keep them away from their habitual self-image. See, that's the thing about being super positive is that you do that because of the other end of the teeter-totter, right? Like you need to do that. Otherwise you're going to be overwhelmed. And I know because I did that for years, <laughs> for years, I would, I would go really hard towards one thing or hard towards another thing. I was always just a laser beam of focus, but it, was, it wasn't just because I wanted to do that thing or it wasn't just because I wanted to have that experience. It was largely because I didn't want to have the experience that I was having up until there right and so there's that that danger but it wasn't until i stopped avoiding experiences it wasn't still until i stopped looking at things as positive or negative where i started finding my own sense of clarity my own sense of of enthusiasm and fulfillment and at that point that's when people started to regard me as a positive influence but i wasn't trying to be positive i was only trying to embody the state of freedom that i found myself in Right? Because to me, that, that is really the only positive, if you want to look at that, but it's not a positive. It's not a positive in that you're not always going to feel happy just because you're free. You're not always going to feel excited just because you're free. Sometimes you're going to feel challenged. Sometimes you're going to feel frustrated. But the difference is, is that when you're there, you just don't take it as seriously. It's just not something that has the same pull on you. So you're not trapped by it. Right? And that's very much the point is just to get to the point where you realize that all of the influences within your mind are there, but they're very much dictated by your, your commitment to them and your focus on them. Yeah. It's almost like positivity can become a resistance to what is in a lot of ways, you know, you can go through something and like, it's okay. If it's, if it's tough, you don't, you know, if you, a lot of times, if you, if you feel like you have to make it turn it into something positive, it's like, you're just suppressing what you're feeling or, or what is in a lot of ways. And, and I've posted videos where, you know, <clears throat> I talk about good or bad and, and, you know, there's one video I made um, that got, ended up getting a lot of views about 
you know, the rain and how everyone says it's horrible when it's raining. And it's like, no, that's just a perception. You know, there is no good and bad. So you don't have to say so horrible when it rains. And I had a lot of people commenting things like, don't listen to this. It's suppressing your emotions. And I'm like, all right, don't read too deep into it. It's just rain. Like, come on. But it's like, no, like, don't suppress your emotions. Like if you feel a certain way, that's okay. But just be wary of the labels you assign to things saying that it is truth. Like saying rain is objectively bad. Like, no, it's not. It's rain. It's not objectively bad. It just is. And that's a label you are applying to it. But then how can I blame people? Right? How can I blame things for my state of mind? And, and that's it. Like, I was talking to, to somebody, I say talking, but then he removed all of the video responses that he had done to me because, you know, that's just, that's how, you know, your arguments sound. Um, essentially he became triggered by my, my dress video. And then he, he blamed me for triggering him. And, and my response was, you know, like whether you're triggered by me is kind of up to you. And he said, Oh, you know, there's your classic narcissist response, you know, invalidating my feelings. And it's like, no, you have every right to feel triggered by, by me or anybody else. Just don't make the assumption it's the only emotion at your disposal. Just don't make the assumption it's the only emotional response that's appropriate here. It's just the emotional response that you're the most comfortable with or the most familiar with or that gets you the farthest in terms of, of avoiding certain things, right? But it doesn't mean that it's the only emotional response. And, and that sense of responsibility is where things start getting murky for people. People would, would prefer to stick to one side or the other in, in a lot of ways. Like we, we just want rules. That's, that's all we want. We just want things to be black and white. This is what a narcissist does. This is what an empath does, right? And so I made a video the other day saying that one of the most common narcissistic behaviors is to call someone else a narcissist. Well, immediately people started responding. The, the first response was, well, you're just giving narcissists an excuse, right? It's like, am I, or am I catching a narcissist who uses that and making them think, am I the narcissist and have a moment where they actually have it. And that's what happens that people started getting triggered because they just want to label people narcissists. And it's like, well, are, do you have any education in that disorder? Do you have any actual credentials to allow yourself to diagnose other people as a narcissist? Or are you using it to soothe the hurt? So you're just throwing a label out and focusing on yourself, which is narcissistic. Right? And so it's not black and white. You have to question yourself all the time. You can't just label other people, right? To, before you take the, beam, uh, the speck out of somebody else's eye, look at the beam in your own, right? That was the whole point of that is nothing's black and white. You can't just label other people and not look for the behavior in yourself. Yeah, it's, it's never black and white. And that, that actually brought up two different realizations I had on uh, my Saturday trip, one being about uh, priests and religion and suppressions of innate or innate human desires to essentially to procreate. And uh, the other one was questioning things that people tell you is the truth, which is essentially all religions is just shit that someone else told you is the truth. It's not like when someone starts telling a story of a religion as being truth, like I don't, I think a hundred percent of the time someone else 
told them that that was the truth. And my whole thought was like, holy shit, like just question that just quite like, why are you so apt to believe it? And I understand it. And we've talked about this. It's fear of, you know, the unknown fear of death, you know, wanting to settle on an answer for things like it, it makes sense. But at the same time, like, how are you so quick to be like, yep, that's the truth. That sounds pretty good. Cause literally it's someone, just some other human being telling you that it's the truth. Like, and then, yeah, so I don't know if we want to talk about that and then we can get into priests a little bit, but <laughs> absolutely. But I did want to make uh, just a mention here that it's not only true for religion, but, but scientism as well. And that's not to say science, right? Because science is very different than scientism, right? You have the actual practice of, of the scientific method. You have the practice of science, which is, you know, looking at things, observation, and then, and then, you know, thesis based on observation, but then you have scientism, which is like, we've discovered something, it feels really good. And it sounds like the truth. Therefore, we're just going to look at it and base everything else on it. And, and so, I mean, that's, that's largely what happens is we get very comfortable with an idea, regardless if it's a, a religious idea or a cerebral or conceptual idea. And then we just stop questioning it. Right. And we stop questioning. It. It's like I was saying before, you never question something that your authority is derived from. Right. Like you never want to question the truth that gives you power, that gives you certainty, that gives you uh, validity. Right. And, and so that that's the thing we're always working against. And it's something that, you know, spiritualists have criticized the scientific community for and the scientific community has criticized the spiritual community for. So I always find that kind of funny. Yeah, that's something I've uh, become much more comfortable with is questioning and being OK with being wrong about certain things. Like I had, um, some of my friends this weekend, one of them is funny. He's my old roommate and he, he watches all of my YouTube videos and he doesn't even have Instagram, but he, he watches TikTok and YouTube and he watches like every minute of every YouTube video. And he was like quoting some things out of it. I was like, Oh man, I love you. But he was like, Andrew, where's the crystal stuff? Like you brought it up in a video like two months ago. And then he like, you just kind of never went back to it. Like what's going on with that? And I was like, Oh yeah, that I, I believe in that for, for a minute. And, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, maybe rooted in some truth, but I think it's gotten blown out of proportion like most things. And so I've just that idea of, especially for me, as I'm like, have changed a lot in my understandings of things and become more comfortable with questioning things and the, the way they are. I think I'm, uh, I don't want to say like a weakness, but like something that I, 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 I'm almost like quick to believe something and then sort of like incorporate it into my life and then work through it and then realize like, Oh, that's kind of bullshit. Um, so that you is should something, yeah, that is something I've become much more comfortable with being okay with being wrong about things and admitting things like, and I have people who will say like, don't be so passionate about stuff. Cause like there have been things you're passionate about and then you like change your mind about it. I'm like, that's, that's what I do. Like, I don't know why you are so adamant on me being a certain way. And that's I have expectations whole... of you. Yeah. I'm really trying to lean on you, Andrew, and you're causing me some uncertainty. Can you just be consistent? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I have some less so friends, but sometimes with my, some uh, family members uh, will 
say that. And it's just very interesting. And I found it very interesting, especially recently, like the whole idea of a, an adult telling another adult how to live their life. Like I made a video about that last week. It's just the more I think about it, the more absolutely ridiculous, like beyond ridiculous it is that other like adults have opinions on other adults lives like you have your whole own life like isn't that enough like isn't that enough for you like why do you have to have sure. opinions on every other person's life out there it's funny we know that that behavior is toxic because if we play that behavior out long enough if we actually take it and we we scale it up that becomes a dictator we know that 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 behavior is toxic right that that's that's the whole thing but uh you know, because some of us want to participate in that behavior ourselves, we tend to, to justify it, right? Like, oh, it's okay. It's a little bit okay to tell people what to do. It's a little bit okay because, you know, it's in their best interest, right? And so I used to find it funny when I was uh, smoking cigarettes when I was younger and people would go, you know, well, smoking's bad for you. And I'd say, yeah, so I was telling people what to do. I saw that uh, on in New York, uh, nearby in sort of my neighborhood, someone, a dude was walking behind another guy who was smoking a cigarette. He was like, stop smoking that cigarette. Cigarettes are bad for you. And I was with one of my friends and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he's do like, what is that dude accomplishing? And we were having a conversation earlier about um, weighing the upside of getting into a certain situation or like the upside versus the downside. And I was like, there is no upside there for that dude, following that dude, yelling at him about smoking cigs. There's zero upside except for him, you know, portraying his opinion. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. And to think that, yeah, like that, like you just said, telling someone else what to do is also, bad behavior like ah, people people blow my mind all the time <laughs> right well yeah and it's it's really bad for you if you think about it think about the amount of stress that goes into committing to the idea that you know what's best for people yeah and then they don't listen to you right or, or they do the opposite and you're constantly in conflict what is that doing to your body what is that doing to your health right like you think smoking's bad for you really yeah yeah so much un like unnecessary and added stress and and Another, uh, that kind of reminds me of a different video I made a few days ago about like, there's nothing you have to do. And we have all of these ideas about, you know, what we have to do as human beings, mostly from society telling us certain things that, you know, we have to have kids and a family. Like, no, we don't like, that's a societal norm that we don't have to do, but people have this idea that they do. And maybe, you know, maybe deep down they don't want to, or even like, you know, we talk about how maybe you can't exactly know what you want, but a lot of people like have this idea of what they want. And I think it's important to just question, like, is that actually what you want? Or is that what society is telling you is the definition of success? And so you're working towards something that you don't actually even want at the end of the day. And, and just questioning those things and realizing that, you know, there are no rules. People love commenting like, oh, well, I have to pay taxes. And it's like, all right, like, sure, you can have that, but like 99, everything else, like this, this is applicable to, and, and even with, well, then I'll break laws. And it's like, most people aren't not doing what they want because they're afraid of breaking laws. It's because they're afraid of standing out and being judged. And, and there aren't, you know, there aren't society, those societal norms aren't rules. They're just that, but they've almost become sorts of rules. 
I also, I also find the cascade effect there very interesting because what we're saying is that you know, all of these, these, these goals and these wants and, and these end results that we've been told have value are, are questionable. And as we start to question those, the little ones say like people's approval of me, right? And then all of a sudden the bigger ones start to become more questionable, like, you know, say taxes or, or state laws, things like that. But you can't jump from one to the other. Right? You can't just go from, you know, question you know, your motivation to get into that relationship to down with the system. Like it's, it's a big gap there. Um, but the fact that we are starting to question the little motivators, you know, the, the house, the car, the white picket fence, the, the, the wife and two and a half children were starting to question the motivator of, you know, retirement savings or question the motivator of becoming, you know, rich and famous. We're questioning all of these motivators. And as a result, our priorities and our relationships are changing. And that's going to lead us to increasingly change, change and question the system that we're forced to live within because the system's no longer going to match our mentality. And this is what I was saying earlier about how what we consider to be normal in our collective mentality changes over time. And, and so I'm very curious to see how this continues to shift as the new normal becomes questioning the things we used to to, to believe in wholeheartedly, questioning the things that we've been convinced to not question. And that's what's happening. I mean, that's, that's why there's nothing the government can do that they're getting a positive response on. There is nothing that the government can do where they're having a high approval rating. Don't you find that interesting? I find that super interesting that it doesn't matter which side they're trying to please anymore. Everybody's pissed off. Everybody's unhappy because the system is broken. The system is toxic. It doesn't work. And, and so we're just watching our collective kind of fatigue with this. And we're letting them kind of have their, okay, all right, you're going to save us all. All right, you do your thing. Prove it. But year after year, we're losing hope. Year after year, you're getting more and more kids, Greta Thunberg, or even my daughter, who are going, don't you, don't you adults think you should be taking this more seriously? And the adults are going, I'm not in control. And the adults that are in control are going, oh, don't worry, we got this. And that, that game's going to run out soon. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I saw uh, my my friend who's super into Bitcoin sent me a video. Um, it's, uh, you heard of Michael Saylor? Um, yeah, he. it was an interview that he did. I think it was recent. Uh, it was about an hour and a half, but he started basically, he didn't even talk about Bitcoin. He just talked about inflation and the process of inflation and, and how insane it is that inflation first of all, like inflation matches like the rise of the S and P essentially. And it's, so it's like, if you keep your money in there, you're basically just breaking even. And then if you have it in something else, if you have it in cash, like you're basically just lighting money on fire all the time. And so he was talking about all of that and how, you know, you need to essentially find assets that are going to like, uh, expand or, or build more so than the S&P 500. Like you have to do better than that just to make any money at all. And then about halfway through, he said, or something like Bitcoin that is deflationary and has a fixed number of assets. And so he, I think he invested a shit, like he has billions and billions of dollars through, I think through his company and probably personally as well in Bitcoin. But yeah, it's, it's it's crazy the idea that you know i don't i don't i don't get how like the fed prints or you know who, whoever's printing all the money like how they 
print, just do it with thinking that it's not going to crash and burn or they just don't care. Well, they're, they're enriching themselves, right? So the name of the game is how long can we keep the game going so we can stay on top, right? So that, that comes back to like 1913 Jekyll Island, right? Where they, they formed the Federal Reserve behind closed doors um, because before that money was created by the government. Right. So now we have the Federal Reserve and central banks that create money. And what I always find interesting is you don't really need to understand the majority of, of how the economy works. There's really just one point that that'll drive home how stupid it is, which is that all of the money in existence is printed and lent to the public at interest. So if all of the money in existence is lent, where do we get the interest? So we talk about a lot of different things on dualistic unity, but there are certain topics that just require a little bit more time, a little more depth, a little bit more attention and things that are super common in the world right now as a response to our desire and uh, pull towards feeling like we can be in control. Topics like relationships, anxiety, something like manifestation, or even the topic of belief. These are all things that require more than just a half hour, an hour, or even a 90-minute podcast episode. And as such, we've decided to release a few workshops. There are currently five workshops at the recording of this ad, but we do have another workshop scheduled for the very near future on research and information literacy. You can find these workshops at dualisticunity.com under the store in the workshop section. Looking forward to hearing what you think of them. Um, taxes? No, we have to keep borrowing more money. That's the point. Right. We have to keep creating more money, which creates more interest, which is why the deficit continues to grow. Right. Which is why it will never end. And we will continue to borrow more against the debt ceiling. We'll continue to print billion dollar coins or whatever the hell they're going to do next. But it's because the game is rigged. The game is essentially just meant to maintain the illusion of stability for the people who are currently in power. That's all it is. That's Keynesian economics. Right. Pay people to dig holes, pay other people to fill them in. There's no value being created there. I'm not kidding. That's, that's the economy of the United States and the majority of the world. It's not about creating value as opposed to where it was, say, when the United States first started or, or even in the early 1900s, where the United States was wholesale creating things of value, the, uh, infrastructure, things like that. Like those actually have value because it affects other people's lives. But ever since that time, the Federal Reserve and everything else, infrastructure has been continuously less of a priority creating things less of a, of a priority. Now we have a service industry which creates nothing of value, right? And we're all just using money that's becoming less and less valuable as we go along. So yeah, it becomes harder on us while the people at the top continue to benefit from it. And it's like, what was that quote? That inflation is an invisible tax? Yeah, yeah it's, it's wild because it's not, I mean, they keep it under wraps pretty well. I mean, everyone knows about it but i don't know it's just like i feel like something that's people are like oh yeah you know another thing it's just the way it is you know there's no it's just how it's always been and it's like i don't know until maybe, it's too late you know yeah. it's until it's too late if you ever get a chance look up uh, the weimar republic you know look at look what happened to them with mass inflation all of a sudden they were carrying wheelbarrows full of cash for a loaf of bread i have i have heard of 
that i think unless there's like multiple just insane. even down in the congo uh i think it was like eight ten years ago basically people were going to pan for gold because it actually was costing them like milligrams of gold for a loaf of bread that's how bad the money supply got and it's just because this is a game that consistently ends up in the same place. It doesn't ever end well. It never ends well. The only time or the only reason it's consistently stable is because the United States dollar has been the world reserve currency and they've maintained the balance of power for the most part. But now you have the Chinese government, which are you know changing their own uh, monetary policy and, and messing with the dollar or messing with the value of their own dollar. You have all of these other superpowers that are doing the same. And so it's it's just a casino now. I, I've I've known many financial advisors and and uh, and whatnot who have said there is no stability anymore. The illusion that we used to have 15 years ago that they would advise people based on it's all just a crapshoot now. It's just you're you're lucky if if a company doesn't go under, or if you invest in a company and it's supposed to go under, the government comes in and saves them with tax dollar taxpayer money. So there is no free market anymore, right? And there hasn't been in a while. And so how can we have a, a system? that accurately reflects us as a species if the system isn't being affected by our behavior. Yeah, mm, that's a very good point. I think in this interview, he also brought up even just something like bonds or, or it was something like that where you used to be able to you know, put a million dollars in and basically get like $50,000 out a year from that. And now it's like 10 or 20 million just to get 50,000 out. And it's like, you know, the everyday and that barely per- like, covers inflation. Yeah. Yeah. Like the everyday person, you know, there's, there's a lot more people with a million dollars saved than $20 million. That's for sure. But it's, it's insane that it's happening like right before our eyes and people aren't like, they're not in Armageddon. It seems like it's, it's like strange how kind of fucked up it is that they're Hard to think of the big picture when we're busy trying to cover rent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You got, you're trying to keep a roof over your head and your, and your kids fed. It's, it's very difficult to start thinking about, Oh, well, you know, look what the government's doing to my freedom. Look what the government's doing to the economy. Oh, look what's going to happen to the value of the dollar within five to 10 years. And we don't have time for this. And and then they know it. That's the whole point, right? They've known it since the thirties. We can juggle 30 to 35 things in our head at any given time before we start having to actually like do some triage and separate the things that that aren't important. So yeah, they just keep us busy. And more importantly, they keep us comfortable and distracted and give us all of the things that, that, that we would want to feel better about the system that's causing us so much suffering. Yeah. Like when you said it's, it's tough to, you know, think about this stuff when you're trying to pay rent, it's like the thing that we can't think about because people are worried about paying rent is the thing that's causing people. It's like such a fucked up cycle. Holy shit. Yep. That's it. Absolutely. And, and people often will write to me and ask how I'm so calm about everything that's happening. And there's, there's a number of reasons I'm calm. And the first of which is of course, everything is transition. Everything is transition. Whatever it is we're in right now, might seem like it's going to last forever, but the reality is, is that it's not. And we don't know how long it's going to last or what it's going to mean or how it's going to change the world. We just don't know. And, and that's always been true. So I, I don't worry for, for that. Um, the, the second thing is that it's very much like, um, you ever watch The Lord of the Rings or, or uh, The Hobbit? Have you ever seen The Hobbit? 
Um, I read the book a long time ago. There is this great moment in the movie. You're going to love it. You know, Bomber, the really large dwarf in The mm-hmm. Hobbit. Right. Well, he's sitting on a, t- on, on a bench and uh, he's eating and he's eating and the bench is creaking like it's just creaking. And then his other his buddy, he's like, hey, Bomber. And he just throws him like a single olive. Bomber catches the olive. The whole bench just breaks and falls through and everybody starts laughing. Right. Well, when you look at the system right now, you can hear the fucker creaking. You can hear it. And I'm just waiting for the olive, right? Like that's all it is. So I'm not worried because this doesn't have the stability to maintain its own weight. It just doesn't like the, we don't, the, the mentality that was behind the creation of the, the American system, especially was the mentality of, you know, this is our country. We're going to do what we want with it. But that requires each and every person in that country to maintain that mentality. Right. And it's not just about, oh, you know, every once in a while, the tree of freedom's got to be, you know, watered with the blood of patriots. That, 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 that's all violence and bullshit. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that the tree of freedom needs to be continuously maintained by people who are free in themselves. Right? Like, that's the whole point is that if it, you can't say, I'm all about freedom, let me line up to vote for this person that I don't get another say for four years. That's not freedom. Right. That is you just going, ah, they'll take care of it so I can be comfortable. Freedom requires responsibility. Freedom requires accountability. It requires you to be present and aware. You can't be free and unconscious. And that's the thing is that our system very much promotes unconsciousness. It very much encourages us to get as comfortable as possible and just tune out the world. And as long as we do that, the system's just going to continue basically benefiting itself, which is just keeping itself alive. That's all it knows how to do is just to keep itself running. And that's not enough for us as a species. That's not going to get us anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think of when you mentioned the creaking bench, I thought of the politicians coming out, like talking about, you know, cryptocurrency and how bad it is for the environment. It's like, that's what I picture as the creaks in the bench. It's like, this thing's unstable as fuck right now. And it's going to crumble. It's just a matter of time. And, We'll, uh, we'll be here for it in one shape or another, but, oh, um, wait, 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 social security, wait, wait, all these boomers, man. I mean, this is the thing is we don't have the infrastructure to take care of the amount of old people that are just waiting to be taken care of. We don't. And, and so the system's like, oh, well, you know, we gotta, we gotta take care of the, the social security moving forward, but they don't have the money. They don't have the income to pay the, to pay those people to help them. So they're going to continue to change the, the rules and the regulations in the same way that they do for veterans in the military. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, you know, we haven't heard from you in three months. You didn't have this test. So that's a quarter of your pension gone. It's like, what the hell? And, and that's just how it goes, because the system cannot carry its own weight. There's not enough. Not if all of the, the people in power are continuing to enrich themselves. You can't continue to take care of everybody and enrich a small portion of the population. Like you can't take care of all of the hungry people in the world and have an Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so the other thing I wanted to bring up that I mentioned before was, so my trip Saturday got like very much into our physicality and like our you know, evolution from essentially monkey animals and everything just made a lot of sense with how we are made and the desires that we have. And 
you know, a penis is a mushroom. And it was so, it was so funny how clear and like, I, I love like, you know, talking like I have that sort of sense of humor and stuff too, but it was, uh, it was very interesting. So like some of the realizations that I had was just like how our innate desires make so much sense. Like we're built to procreate and even like the way we are created with like, you know, where things are and, and so tying it into, you know, when things like that, that are innate desires within us are suppressed, it's almost like it's, it's suppressed. Like, for example, with priests, they can't get married and they can't, you know, have sex. And so like when they get suppressed like that, it's like, no shit. There's stuff like sliding through the cracks and there's fucked up. Like you can't just tell them they can't do those things. And then it's like, so they go start to, I think everyone probably knows what I'm talking about with that. And, but it's like, for them, it's like, oh, well, as long as I confess. Right. And it's, it's like ruining people's lives, but it's so interesting how all of these things, like even the way that we look and are created, we're just like made to procreate. And so it makes sense when you suppress it, that fucked up shit starts happening. Yeah. Well, and when you start cherry picking who you want to procreate, right? Like that, that's the whole thing. Like for, for uh, Catholicism, it was like, we want Catholics to, to procreate. We want more Catholics. We don't want everybody else having children. We want more Catholics. And that was their whole thing. Right. But yeah, you, you can't, you can't suppress human nature and then just come up with rules and discipline and expect it, everything to work out. I mean, that's the problem with the 10 commandments, right? Like it's just, it's like, don't kill anyone. Well, that guy's trying to kill me. Right. What am I supposed to do about that? It's like, well, don't kill anyone. So I'm going to die. I'm going to leave the murderer here. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. That that's good. Right. So it's just, it, it's, it's like everything else. We just want rules to follow. And if all of a sudden I come up to you and go, Hey, you're going to be God's divine representative on this planet. But to do that, you have to follow a certain discipline. You have to be good enough. You have to be pure. So you have to deny everything that's in your consciousness and follow these fucking rules. Right. And, and, and so it's like, can't see how that's going to turn out badly in 10, 20, 30 years where I'm in a position of power, looking down at other people who trust me blindly. Yeah, I can't see how that's going to play out badly. But again, it, it's, it comes down to you do not question a structure that your authority is derived from. So if all of a sudden you're being promised, you know, to be the representative of God, you're being promised that you're going to lead the masses towards the Holy Land, all this other stuff. You don't start, you don't look at the consequence. You don't look at how this might play out over time. It's like we were talking about cars, right? Like cars, a great invention. Should everybody own one? Should everybody have two per household? No, no, they shouldn't. Right. But we don't question that because we're very, very caught up in the idea of driving over state lines to go and check out the local red flag. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. There's just so many things like that, that just, they don't get questioned and we've kind of settled into a way that things are and, and people are comfortable. So it's like, you know, people who have the capacity to question it, who are, comfortable are too comfortable to question it. And those who aren't comfortable in this aren't comfortable. So they have to work on getting comfortable so they can't question it. So it's like, no one's questioning anything. And then the ones who are, who actually are like pulling the strings, they're 
benefiting greatly from this. They're literally know what's happening and they're, they're allowing it to happen because they, if, if they start questioning it, then that will, you know, undermine the fabric of their whole existence and thing. And, and so it's like, who, who questions it? And it comes down to, you know, the individual and, and making the, you know, choice to question it and, and wanting to question it. Cause you, cause you can see it clearly for see what it. it is. That's it. Right. It's actually just the genuine recognition that that's all it is because you can get into questioning the system as a fad. And that's often what happens is that you start off questioning the system and then you meet other people who are rebels against the system and they define themselves as anarchists or they define themselves in one way or another. And then you end up joining that group. And now you're just promoting their system, whatever that might be, or you can maintain that constant questioning of whatever it is you're told is the truth of whatever it is that you're told is the way to be. So that way you are actually playing an active part in deciding what is to be for you, right? As opposed to just following what other people should tell you to do. But it it really just comes down to recognizing that the the single part that that we're missing in this culture is the personal accountability part. The fact that we are the world. We, we don't talk about that. We talk about our peace within the world. We talk about our peace within the system. We talk about our role within other people's lives. But we, we very much ignore the fact that the government is the way it is because we allow it to be, right? The church is the way it is because we allow it to be. You know, priests are doing what they're doing because we allow them to. And the law is blind because we created it that way. And, and so in order for us to do anything about those things, we have to be willing to take it on ourselves to do it. But right now we still have that mentality of, oh, well, you know, if this person went to school for a number of years, obviously they're educated and they can do it. And then, you know, and all that, it's like, right. But now you're trusting in the education system, which is still toxic, which is still twisted by a certain mentality. So as much as you can be educated, being educated by itself does not mean that you have clarity. And we know this from the amount of people who have went to school for political science or, or who went to school for uh, in psychology or to be a counselor or anything else. Just because you're educated, that doesn't equate to self-awareness, right? And so we have to promote self-awareness. We have to alter our system or alter our, our conversations individually because the system is going to change as a result to talk about awareness, to talk about uncertainty, to talk about these things, because that's what's going to change us as a person individually, as we change ourselves, right? And so that's why I'm always encouraged when I see, you know, you, the people that come to us on our Patreon page, the people that message us after listening to this, or, or the messages I get from people saying, you know, I just binged your entire show. And it's like, wow, that's like 16, 17 hours. That's a lot of time, right? And the only reason that you would do that is because this conversation is one that you want to have that you can't find, And it's because it's difficult to find right now, but it's becoming easier to find. It's becoming easier to get involved with these conversations. But at the same token, as always, you have to watch out for the wolves in sheep's clothing. You have to watch out for those who talk of God, but preach division. You have to talk, you have to watch out for the fads and the identities and and all of these, these uh, coping mechanisms and ways to feel better. So it's a minefield until you, you get your stride, until you find your clarity. And then all of a sudden, everything's just super clear, as Andrew was saying earlier, it just becomes almost too easy. Yeah. And, and when it comes to like the uh, education and learning about things, that comes back to that thing I was talking about earlier, of just like believing what someone tells you, as opposed to, it's like we're taught what to think and we're not taught how to think or, or not 
taught to, you know, question our perception of ourselves or question much, really. We're just taught to, you know, sit down and learn and memorize and take a test and, you know, get a piece of paper and then go make money for a while and then, you know, relax and, and die. And, and uh, yeah, oh, I, I thought of a story, another thing that happened this weekend. And uh, when you talk about it uh, comes back to the individual, this was a little bit of like an uncomfortable situation for me. It was actually um, Saturday night when I was out with my friends, it was, we went to bounce around to a couple bars and we came to one. And, uh, so I was still, you know, feel like kind of on mushrooms for through pretty much through the whole night. I don't know. I felt like I was on them for 12 hours. Um, obviously less of a degree than I was initially, but so I was waiting in the bathroom line to go to the bathroom and it was kind of a long line. There were only two individual bathrooms and there was six people in line and, a black woman came up to me and said, can I cut you? And I was like, uh, you're kind of, and she's like, before I really said anything, you know, to make up for the patriarchy. And I was like, oh man, you're kind of putting me in a uncomfortable position here. You see that. Right. And I was like, you're kind of like taking advantage of me a little bit. And she was like, oh, like men take advantage of women. I was like, Oh, goodness gracious. Like, I'm not feeling this right now. And um, I was like, all right, tell me this. If if you were in my shoes, if you were me and I were you, would you let you go? She was like, yeah, I would. I was like, all right, go ahead. And it was like, it was such a, and there were people behind me and we <laughs> realized uh, after like, I don't know. We were just like bouncing around to different bars. And this was a predominantly, there was mostly black people in this bar. And, you know, the guy behind me was, was basically like, fuck that shit. And he was like a black guy. And he's like, fuck that man. Like, sorry, you had to deal with that. And I was like, thanks man. It's like, it's whatever. It's not a big deal. Cause I also was like to this woman, I was like, you're also cutting all of these people. And she was like, yeah. Okay. And, and it just came back to, and it's always like, you know, when you have a conversation and you think of things you could have said on top of it afterwards, like afterwards, I was like thinking like this mentality of judging me and sort of like taking advantage of me for how I look is the same exact mentality that got us into this shit. And it's like, what, Albert Einstein said, like, you can't solve a problem on the same level that the problem was level of consciousness, that the problem was created on. I was like, that's the same exact thinking. And it has been for a lot of the things going on, at least in the US for the past year is like the, you know, making up for the past actions of people that all, many of them are not alive. And it's not to say, I'm not saying at all that you know, there's no racism whatsoever. Like it definitely is out there for sure. But like having this mentality of making up for it by making people who look a certain way, you know, ask forgiveness for things that they haven't done. It's like, it's such a group think mentality and like us versus them. And it's just perpetuating this idea of identity and how people look and judging people for how they look instead of you know, the content of their character and who they okay. are. And it was, it, so that situation, it reminded me of like, it's how we act as 
individuals and so that was like just a situation that was like i'm like whatever like I'm, i don't feel like dealing with this right now but at the same time i was like fuck this and it's a tricky situation right like yeah. it's because on the one hand yeah the, there's there's been a long history of, of um, patriarchal abuse Right. And on the other hand, yeah, there's been a long history of, of racial abuse. And yeah, there, there is, in fact, a, a, a systemic element of racism for sure. It was founded that way. I mean, I'm not going to deny any of that at all, which is why I work so very hard to not identify as Caucasian, as male, as being anything better than anybody else. It's why I work so hard not to identify in general. So to me, that's how I solve the problem. And if somebody comes up to me and they do as they did with you, it's like, it, there is no right answer because you can make the stand and, and say like, you know, I, I'm not contributing to that. I mean, you know, I'd be happy to help you if you didn't come up and, and immediately make assumptions about me, like things like that, right? Like things like that. Or, you know, if you were in my position, would you let me go first? Yes. Perfect. Then let me go first. You know, things like that, right? Like just, but they're, that person's already wound themselves up to make this argument because it's in their best interest because she wants to go to the bathroom, right? So the argument's not actually being brought to you with any degree of sincerity or authenticity. It's being very much used as leverage to get what that person wants, right? And, and on that token, you can't complain either because we did the same shit for hundreds of years, our, our culture did, right? So, I mean, it, it's a very tricky, tricky discussion to have with anybody who, who's a person of color or anybody who's a minority, anybody who's been oppressed, because on the one token, we are doing what we can to not be the kind of person that oppressed them or oppressed their culture or their ancestry. We're working as hard as we can, but they don't know that, right? What they've been taught is that making assumptions about a group of people is just how this society works generalizing you know, a whole segment of society is just how society works. And if they've done it to me, then I'm going to do it to them because that makes sense. And, and unfortunately, yeah, it, end up, it ends up with us just going in circles, going in circles. And, and, and so it can be a very difficult conversation to have, but there's also the recognition that some people are coming from a place of hurt and some people are coming from a place of healing, right? The person who's coming from a place of healing is much more likely to, to question that assumption before they make it about you to give you the chance to show what kind of person you are or to talk to you, right? Whereas the person who's going through hurt is going to lash out from that hurt. They're going to make assumptions about you based on the people who hurt them. And, and so there, it's, it's so difficult to have this conversation. You have to have empathy to some degree, but on the other hand, choose your, ba choose your battles, or in this case, choose your bathrooms, in which case, you know, I got to go. You're going to wait. That's just how it's, how it's going to be. And then, then you can blame the patriarchy if you like, or you can blame the fact that it says men's bathroom or, or the fact that I'm in line. It doesn't really matter. This is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was kind of funny because I was talking before about when I was at uh, a party earlier in that night, like talking to someone and then there was nothing more to say. And I just kind of sat there and I kind of feel that uncomfortability. So after she I let her go ahead of me. The bathroom wasn't open yet. So she was standing next to me in line and I could feel her uncomfortability because I didn't really like delve into her thing. And I just kind of like let her do it, but also made her question like how she went about it and how like she, I think she kind of realized it. So she actually, after, I think it probably was only like five seconds, but she was like, and I'm sorry for blaming the patriarchy on you. I was like, it's all right. Like, <laughs> 
I'll be fine. There it is though. Right. That that's it. It's, I didn't really, it wasn't really something I needed to do, but it, in the short term, it allowed me the leverage I needed to get what I want. And, and that's unfortunately the reason that this continues to be toxic, right? And if we can get out of that, if we can actually start looking at each other as a species and take our progression as a species seriously, then we would have a very different discussion, right? But right now we're still, we're still trying to, to soothe hurts that are continuing to be caused. I think that's the hard part about this, right? It's very difficult to have a conversation where we as, as a species can get past this ridiculousness of racism, for example, when there are so many people in positions of power being racist and causing harm, right? So how do you, how do you say, well, yeah, there's them and then there's us, right? You can't. And, and it just comes down to the fact that just your authenticity will show itself. Like just being in that lineup, not making a big deal about it, making the decision like, yeah, whatever. Okay, just go to the bathroom. <laughs> whatever you got to do, right? And, and not getting all upset about it, not making a giant stand, but just pointing out like, yeah, you kind of using that to your advantage, right? All of a sudden that had an impact. That person actually had to stop and, and deal with, why do I feel uncomfortable? Oh, because I was being a dick. And they had to think about it, right? And then they looked at you and there was a degree of humility as they had to admit that they used that for their own self-serving purposes. But that wouldn't have happened had you argued. That wouldn't have happened had you made a stand based on your own ego. And that, that's what I mean by there is this natural transition that's happening as a result of our internal change. I find that so funny. I would love to know what that girl did with the rest of her night. I would love to know the conversation she had with the rest of the weekend because they were altered, however slightly, by that experience. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's just like, it's such a little thing. And we were talking again before about like, you know, upside of discussions, like what is the upside of getting into this? Is there any upside whatsoever? And, and just like getting into anything in that situation, like I was able to kind of be on my feet and say, get a couple things in there just enough, I think, to get her to realize that she's being a little bit ridiculous, but without, you know, anyone blowing up or anything. And I certainly, you know, wasn't going to do that in that situation, but you know, everyone else in line saw the interaction too. And they were like, what the hell is that? Like, fuck that shit. And, but you were, you were really patient about it. You were, you, you did the, you know, the best you could, you were as patient and empathetic as you could be about it, but you weren't so invested in getting your own way that you had to make a stand. And, and that altered everything. It's just like sitting in your room with your friends who were, you know, tripping with you your thoughts, your, your being energetically changes everybody around you. It really does. It's very difficult to see, but if you ever want to experiment with it, then I highly encourage you one day when you are uh, tripping by yourself, just go and sit in a coffee shop one day. Just, just sit down by yourself in a coffee shop and just listen to the conversations around you. As you sit there focusing on your state of being, all the conversations start to change. They start to, to shift very slightly away from like, superficial things to more emotional things to more insightful things to more questions about you know the world around us it's a really interesting thing to watch and it's not because you're causing it so much as that you've brought your energy into the environment and that's caused the environment to shift yeah that is something that might be my next maybe i'll give that a shot next weekend or the following we'll see but that sounds 
very interesting and because i do really enjoy because a lot of times i'll walk around and i'll just listen to i'll be more perceptive to conversations going on and just notice little things about it and i'm like that's like that's an interesting thing such an interesting thing to say is usually what i think <laughs> that's my favorite word interesting drives my wife nuts right and it's like it's worthy of interest it doesn't mean it's positive or negative it's just worthy of interest yeah, I love responding, especially to like comments on Instagram or TikTok. Cause even, you know, I posted some like mid trip videos and I had some comments, people like, oh, this is, you know, oh, mushrooms are becoming this guy's personality. Like I'm, I'm over this and, or, or, um, like, this is kind of funny, but like lay off the shrooms a little bit. And I responded like, what an interesting demand, <laughs> like, cause that's what it was. And it's like, who the fuck are you to tell me what to do with that? And like, to think that you have my best interest in mind for that. And I had someone else who was um, on a live uh, maybe last week talking about mushrooms and how, you know, I, I shouldn't do so much blah, 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 or something around that. And I was like, or they were talking about like downsides. And I was like, you sound like someone who has never done mushrooms. Have you ever done mushrooms? And they responded like, I've never tried them, but like, I've heard things. And I was like, that's exactly what I thought. And it's so funny how people just, again, pushing their, you know, demands or, or perceptions of who you are onto you. And it's like, I, it just doesn't make it. I don't get it. I don't actually know, but it's not something I do. So you're not validating me. Stop that. Right. Yeah. I always find that funny. You know, or, or they'll say like, well, you, you shouldn't be doing that. It's like, oh, well, don't stop there. Tell me what I should do with the rest of my day. Let's schedule this out. <laughs> you know, if you're going to, what should I have for breakfast tomorrow? Come on. You know, and it's just because it becomes ridiculous. Oh, well, you don't have to throw that attitude. It's like, it's not an attitude. If you think about it, it's what you're doing. You are initiating a demand on my life. So why stop there? Let's let's make it a full out demand for the rest of my days. Otherwise, stop wasting my and your time. Yeah, it is crazy, too. And even like, you know, talking to anyone about it with because mushroom and part of the reason that I make videos about it and I'm pretty fucking open about it is because I am. I think it's there is such a huge stigma. And for someone even like a lot of people talk about, you know, maybe someone in sports, like when a person like. Tiger Woods, he, he gave hope to a lot of people who looked similar to him. I'm not saying that I am like being Tiger Woods of mushrooms, but I think there's a lot of people who, you know, are in like, look like me or grew up like me and they deal with things like anxiety and depression, even though if you look at it, like big picture, they have nothing to be anxious or depressed about. Like they have very comfortable lives but they still do. And I think it's very prevalent in our society. And I think that the suppression of substances like this has been a part of the mental health crisis that we are now seeing. And it, I think it's maybe taken some years and, you know, people blame social media and all that stuff. And it's like, there's, you know, levels to anything and there's different sides of, you know, social media and whatever. But I think part of it is potentially the suppression of these substances. So part of the reason that I'm open about this is to show people like, you know, this is 
what it looks like when someone's on mushrooms and you're telling me this is fucking illegal. Like what it like, this is a high dose too. And it's like, I'm laughing and talking about how ridiculous the internet is and how funny the internet is like, what? Yeah. And you're not hurting anybody. Right. But yeah. it's not just the, the mental health crisis, but I mean, I, I largely think that, that the majority of the problems with our system, with the way that we govern our, our species is largely due to the lack of, of psychedelics that were used by, by the leaders of the past and the lack of, of psychedelic use within our culture over time. That's been minimized as we've wiped out more and more tribal society and we've become more and more invested in this hierarchical structure, uh, mostly European. Um, we've walked away from psychedelics because as you know, when you are in a psychedelic experience none of that shit makes any sense like all of a sudden you find yourself in a state you're like i don't want to rule people i want to hang with that person and so it all falls apart and and so yeah i I largely think that because that that mentality is not very useful to the ego it isn't very useful to that controlling mentality it's been largely just shunned and avoided and made illegal as a result and we focused on alcohol instead which we all know how how good of a benefit that's had on society right so um but again alcohol keeps you physical alcohol keeps you in a certain mentality that is not overly insightful right in large doses small doses a little bit different i mean there's a reason alcohol used to be called spirits right like it wakes up your spirit a little bit and reduces your uh, your inhibitions and allows you to speak a little bit more freely but that's a very narrow window before it becomes sloppy and stupid right whereas in psychedelics it's a very different thing it's it's you stripping your soul bare and then realizing oh right i totally forgot i was wearing all that extra shit and, and then all of a sudden you're in a different state of mind and you're looking at things with with actual clarity with actual priority like all of a sudden it doesn't make sense to you to want to feel better than your neighbor when you and your neighbor could be working together to create a backyard barbecue that you both benefit from like that, that's exactly the mentality that comes from that state of mind, right? It's like, you know, but we could be doing cool shit, not, you know, but what about me, right? It's a totally different mentality. And so I think that a large part of what you're doing in normalizing this again for, for your age range, for your demographic and, and in social media, just normalizing the use again and showing that this isn't necessarily the harmful thing everybody thinks it is, is inspiring more people to continue to try stuff like that is inspiring people at least to question the narrative that they've been told about this stuff. Like I said before, you know, it's like, Oh, well, the government says it's bad for me. Therefore it's bad for me. Well, all of a sudden, you know, people like you who have grown up going through the system's idea of what a, of a good life is coming out the other end and going, yeah. And I wasn't really content. And then I started exploring all this stuff and you know what? Yeah. I'm feeling way better that all of this promise didn't do. This, all this shit, all these hoops I jumped through just didn't do it, right? And so everybody else who's still either jumping through hoops or have jumped through all the hoops and they're 10 years in wondering why they're still not happy are able to suddenly get exposed to something. It's like, wow, that guy's giggling for no reason. He's not causing any harm whatsoever. And he's just sitting in his house alone and it cost him five bucks. You know, like that, that, that's a big message. And I think that it goes towards... The, the collective change that we've been talking about this whole time. Um, before we go any further, I just want to make some announcements because I always forget until the end of the episode. And I know that these episodes get very long uh, on December 8th 
from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern time. That'd be this Wednesday. We are doing another free live group Zoom chat. Um, you can register at dualisticunity.com. It's completely free. We're going to have some more giveaways. I'm going to be giving out another 50-minute one-on-one uh, life coaching session with me. We're going to give away another copy of our Social Anxiety series. And of course, we're just going to have a great conversation. So if you can join us, we would love to see you there. Uh, December 15th, the Wednesday following, we have our exclusive Patreon live stream where we will be talking to our Patreon supporters directly uh, in, in a group Zoom chat, just like we're, the one we're doing this Wednesday, except it's a much smaller group. You can actually get on to the, the Zoom chat with us face-to-face, ask questions, and we just shoot the breeze for like an hour and a half. It's a lot of fun. So if you want to join that, just go to our Patreon page. You, you can become a supporter for $5 a month or more. And then season two is coming up. So we're going to be doing a Q&A episode for season one coming up in the next few weeks here. If you have any questions that you would like us to address based on the content that we've done in season one, definitely leave it in any of the comment sections on any of our YouTube videos or contact us on social media. And we'll try and include your question in the Q&A. Yeah, and those, uh, those Zoom calls have been, or the, the one we've had and then the Patreon one we've had are a lot of fun. Like, I'm really excited to start incorporating more of those into our uh, weekly schedules, essentially, that we've built up here. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a great conversation last week, and I'm looking forward to the one uh, this Wednesday as well. Season two is going to be epic. Um, we've been talking about season two as we, as we move through season one. And what we've noticed is that this conversation that we've been having episode to episode has been really good in terms of it being an organic flow uh, in the same way that our evolution as an individual is kind of in the same uh, pathway in terms of questions and answers and exploring new topics and new perspectives and gaining, gaining some clarity. And so season two is going to be a bit of an expansion. We're going to try and bring more people into this conversation. We're going to try and build this wave. We'll get more into the details as season one progresses, but just for everybody who's interested, season two is coming up in January. It's going to be epic. If you haven't subscribed to us on YouTube yet, definitely do. Yes. Yeah. Very excited for that. Um, so when we were talking before about like psychedelics and normalizing it more so, and something interesting that I've come across is, you know, people do have the stigma and I know that there are people certainly, or, you know, I do know, cause I've been told it that judge me for, you know, doing them and like, you know, doing them too much or whatever, even though, you know, I, I microdose here and there, um, like a couple times a week and then I'll trip. I don't know. It's been every couple weeks. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting how, cause like when I was in college, I drank all the time, you know, it was, it was like a very regular thing to do, um, every weekend, at least, twice a week to get, you know, get drunk basically like, and no one ever had any concerns then. (laughs) Like no one ever had any concerns. My parents, there was a point, I think maybe freshman year where I was explaining how, you know, people don't have three beers and they go out. And I know you guys didn't either. And they were like having 10 beers in a night. Like that's crazy. And I was like, everyone does that, whatever. But like, besides that, no one ever showed any concern for people drinking all the time. And like, we know that's very bad for you. And and for the general population, I know there hasn't been necessarily enough, a ton of like research into psychedelics, but there are arguments being made that they are not only not bad for you, but actually good for you. And with alcohol, like 
there's nothing that's ever been proven to be good about that whatsoever. And so when I post these things, like I have no issue with it because like there are people who have entire TikTok accounts about like drinking and they show themselves drinking and, and shotgunning stuff all the time and they talk about it and blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, just because the government said, we don't want people doing psychedelics, there's this stigma. And so if I were to, you know, say I tripped like once a week, like on every single Saturday I did, people would be like, oh my gosh, that's like, he's a shroom head and he's, you know, like I'm concerned about him. And then the other part, which I've had to explain to people close to me is like, sure, maybe you have known people in your past, like growing up, people who grew up in the 60s, 70s, there were people who people became, you know, the sort of deadhead generation where, you know, they, they weren't really doing a whole lot except for drugs all the time and a bunch of different drugs all the time. And it's like, you can't compare me to them. Like I have a full-time job that I work every week. I, you know, graduated college, like did all these things I do. I have, you know, two podcasts, post content, like you can't compare those two lives. And they're like, oh, we're, we're concerned. It's like, what about my life is can, could possibly be concerning to you? It's like, besides doing this substance here and there that the government decided was illegal. Cause that's the only thing that you're concerned. About. Oh, you were, you were doing fine. You were doing great right up until the mushrooms. Then it all just went to shit. <laughs> like that's right up until then though. Good job. Right. And that's just, that's just how it goes. Bill Hicks said it best. He's like, you know, and it kind of funny that, that the drugs that are good, like tobacco and alcohol are taxable drugs. And the drugs that aren't are not taxable drugs, right? It's so true. I mean, like, look at cannabis now. All of a sudden, cannabis is now being taxed by the government. Everybody's like, woo, cannabis, it's changing the economy. It's, it's good for mental health. Yeah, it has been forever. <laughs> like, it's, nothing's changed except that the powers that be have suddenly said, oh, we can make money off of this. Yeah. Therefore, it's good now. Right? And that's going to continue to happen. That's why, and, and that's it. I think they need more money. We've discussed how this system is tanking and they're going to continue to try and find more ways to profit. They're going to continue to try and find more ways to basically, you know, siphon us dry because that's what they do, right? They, they get us to commit to a system that has all of these benefits and the benefit for them is that they continue to just milk us of all of our value and time and life, right? And so now they're, they're running out of things to make money on. So they have to legalize cannabis. And then shortly after that, they're going to start legalizing you know, psilocybin mushrooms. And I mean, there's, uh, which state is, it? I think it's Washington state is basically just decriminalized all drugs straight up. I think Washington or Oregon. Oregon, maybe. Yeah. 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 It's like, yeah. It, yeah. Why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Oh, well, because we don't, we don't trust people to be responsible. It's like, right. But you trust them on alcohol, yeah. which is way worse by any means. I mean, the only thing that's going to happen from somebody, you know, eating some mushrooms or smoking a joint and getting in their car is they're going to sit there looking at the steering wheel, wondering what the ticking noise is. That's all it is. They're not going to leave. And if they do, they're going to be driving at like 5k an hour going down, going down the road. Like there's a very different thing. And you can't look at somebody on mushrooms and go, oh, well, they're a danger to other people. 
they can barely move around. Like they're, they're good to go. They just want to sit there staring at the wall, just leave them alone. Right. Whereas alcohol brings out the worst in people. You want to get people in, into an angry mood, give them alcohol. Right? And so it, it just comes down to what is in the system's best interest. And up until recently, it's been whatever keeps us dumb, whatever keeps us numb and keeps us working and keeps us basically conflicted with each other. Because that's that keeps us reliant on the system, right? If we were to ever start working together, if we were to ever collectively find a mentality where we could recognize each other as being an extension of one another, the government would become useless. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've even had conversations with people, even just like about weed, which I I never like smoke that much, but I do here and there with friends, and and their arguments are like, well, it makes people lazy. It's like what? Like when, when did that become your concern that other people, like, what if someone's just lazy? Like why do choosing to have a substance that relaxes you and kind of settles you down and maybe makes you feel like you don't have to, you know, be a part of the rat race and and climb the ladder so much. Like, why is that a concern to you? Like, you're not even, you know, a politician. Like, why do you care about that and it's like that's the argument and i'm like that's a horrible horrible argument like that makes no sense at all how can you even say that because the slaves aren't performing (laughs) right that's the mentality of the system and 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 that's the thing is if if you teach people to judge themselves for not being productive they will judge everybody else for not being productive and so we start to police ourselves and, and that's basically what the system's done is that we've started policing ourselves based, because we're so committed to ego. Like, it's not enough for me to make a personal choice. I have to basically demand that you make that personal choice or it invalidates my personal choice. And that's a very toxic place to be. That, that's a very dangerous place to be. That, that it goes back to telling people how to live and what to do just because I have to commit to this way of life that I've committed to that makes me feel better and avoids all my suffering and my fear and my conflict and my, my self-loathing and my self-judgment. And so I have so much commitment into just focusing on you because if I don't, the only alternative is to look at myself. I don't want to do that. I'm going to focus on you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so, it's so outrageous. And it's just, it's becoming clearer and clearer to me. Like when I see that happen, it's just like, why are you, why are you doing that? You have enough shit to where I know you don't have shit figured out. Like, why are you talking to me about having things figured out? Like, I, I don't know what, where that concern is coming from besides made up stigmas that you have about the way that I am living my life and things that I'm doing with my life. Like, oh man, it's, it's wild. But, um, yeah, before we end this episode, I did want to talk about one more thing about my trip on Sunday. So I, yeah, it was insane. I mentioned it earlier, but so I took three grams and that was it, but it was the deepest I've ever gone. And it was probably right after the come up, it was probably only 45 minutes in. And for probably 30 minutes, I was at my friend's kitchen table and he has like pretty comfortable chairs. And I was just leaning back and like, had my head like this, close my eyes for about 30 minutes. And I swear I went to the center of whatever is, and I was there and it was sort of dark, almost like in space. And there were these little, uh, and I think it might, I might've like 
perceived this beingness because I just, have you ever seen the movie soul? Uh, the Pixar yep. animated movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It is a good movie. Um, and so the little, the little souls, the little baby souls that are in the, the great before that's sort of what I saw. And it was like, I don't know, 10 of them maybe. And I was like, I was kind of like, where am I? But I also knew, I knew where I was without asking. And I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. And so I knew where I was. So I just started asking questions about things. And just like I was in the center of awareness. And so like the first question I asked is like, oh, you're, there's a few of you. And immediately, as soon as I said it, they became one being. And we're like, they were like, we're whatever you perceive us to be. And we can, we can be anything and nothing. And I was like, all right, that checks out. That makes sense. Yeah. I've, I've kind of, I've kind of gotten that. And then I started just, I was like, all right, well, I'm here. Might as well start asking some questions. And I was like, what's the point of all this? And they were like, what do you mean? What's the point? The point is just an experience, you know, what, what better, what more would you want than that? What more would you want than just being able to experience what is? And I was like, good question. All right, cool. <laughs> and then I just kept moving through and I was like, why is there, why is there suffering? And they basically said, and these are all just like sort of how I perceive it's now, you know, the description is never the described. So these are all like poor representations of what this experience was, but I asked, you know, why is there suffering? And they basically said, there is only suffering to the degree that you perceive it. And it is a product of how rooted in dualism we have become and how far it's almost like we've, we've distance ourselves so much, like we've fooled ourselves so much that we now think that we are separate and we have completely forgotten that we are not separate. And that is sort of just a product of this distance from the truth. And at the end of the day, you know, suffering, good and bad are all perceptions, you know, relative to how you are, how you are experiencing things. And so it, it kind of hit me that like, there are people who you know, first world countries would consider suffering in third world countries who, you know, if we were there, we would be suffering, but they are actually happy. And it's not to say that it is all like that, but there are certain situations where people sort of live off the land and they are very happy, but it's like in our society, we perceive that as suffering. Like we, we just say they're suffering like third world countries. That is the definition of suffering. And so they kind of said it's, it's, one, a product of how the way that things are. And just because we are so rooted in this perception of duality. And then also it is just the individual's perception. So I was like, all right, that, that checks out too. And then I was like, is Ray here? And they were like, they're kind of, we're like, well, Ray is just the name of a, a person. So he's, but in the way that you're asking Yes, he he's been here for a while and they kind of like knew what I was asking, but also clarified that like, 
Ray doesn't exist in the way that, you know, you think. And, but he's been here for a while. And that means like, but you have also been here for a while. And it was like, I was able to, it was like, I was asking these questions, but I was also answering them for myself. And so it was like, I was there, I was it, but also felt like I was there. And it was like, I was in, I was hundreds of thousands of miles in the depths of my being. And as soon as like, I, so I was there and that was kind of the extent of that first time I closed my my eyes again, like half an hour later and sort of went back and was easily able to go back to that sort of situation. But I remember like opening my eyes, it was like, I got shot out of a rocket ship, like back to the surface of where I was able like back in this reality. And I got shot back there. And then I closed my eyes again, and was kind of able to go back. And then the second time I kind of was, I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I should, you know, go around and do some stuff. So I was almost able to like sort of fly around the world. And then I just, I was like, I want to see more. And I just like, like, boom, and like expanded back and went from like, you know, our galaxy or solar system, to galaxy to like kind of being able to see the universe. And it was, I think, sort of based off of, you know, how I've seen pictures of outer space from like zoomed out. So I was, I felt like I was kind of like, that was my perception of it, how I was seeing it in that way. But at the same time, I was still seeing it. And I was kind of like flying through things. It felt like being able to be that awareness. And I like, I started tearing up a little bit, like when I was talking to this thing and and like was smiling. And then I was just at such a point of peace. Like I, that might've, that was like the clearest I've ever felt about death and, you know, just, there isn't anything. And I am perceiving, you know, Andrew as this thing. And even today when I was filming, I filmed that podcast earlier, I was watching it back and it was like, I was seeing another being, which was me talking and seeing, it was almost like, I forgot that that's what I looked like. And I was just seeing them as this awareness. So anyway, it's not what you look like, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the point. And it's true. Even, even physiologically, right? Like we're not looking at what we actually look like. We're actually just looking at our brain's interpretation of the light bouncing off of things. Right. So we're not actually seeing what we look like anyway. <laughs> Yeah, but it what was... you're talking about is interesting because that experience is why Jesus referred to the father, right? Because it's like, you're talking to uh, an unlimited intelligence that is yours. It's yours. But yet, as soon as you go, me, it's gone. It disappears, right? You have to be in that state where you're both and not, com not committed to either. Right. It's funny. There's a, there was a researcher at Laurentian University um, who was doing studies on the brain and, and particularly uh, activating this one uh, part of the brain that he believed was specifically designed to create that sense of being of that, that sense of a presence with us. And so he was stimulating that part of the brain to show, yeah, the brain's actually evolved as a part of itself that stimulates the sense of a presence of a being. 
which I find just amazing. Like, why would the brain do that? Why would that suddenly just develop? You know, it just developed for no reason, right? Um, and it's like, because, you know, we are obviously, there's an experience there that it was building off of, that it was trying to comprehend and interpret and everything else, right? And that's largely part of the, the psychedelics. But psychedelics are not, are not necessary for this. People do it through fasting. People do it through meditation. People do it through hardship. People do it all the time. But what you experience, especially when you encounter those beings, was very much the same as people experience on, on ayahuasca or peyote or any of, that, of those other advanced psychedelics. Those beings are representative of parts of your own consciousness that you can't just comprehend. Like they need a symbol for you to interact with them. Otherwise, it's just too much, right? And so people come up with angels or, or, or technological elves or, or, or things like that. And sometimes they go into the darker aspects of things too. But it's always it's always within our own awareness. And, and I would say that the visuals that you were having about the universe and everything else, yeah, that might be somewhat influenced by um, the pictures you've seen by Hubble telescope and things like that. But on the other hand, those visuals within the mind are there regardless, like whether you've seen those things or not there. Yeah. You, you get this impression of space and you get this impression of, of, of entities within that space, whether it's clusters of energy or it's clusters of thought or it's clusters of emotion, whatever it might be it's all within that field that we're always talking about. And that's why I always find it interesting when we look at how far into the universe we can see very much looks like the inside of our consciousness. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's what it was. That's exactly what it was like. And yeah, it was, it was incredible. So have you like, have you been in that sort of state, like for a long time, like, are you sort of in that without, psychedelics a lot of times or is it tough to I try explain? not to be and, okay. and that, it's like I I work very hard towards uh, maintaining a certain physical aspect for physical perspective of myself because I've chosen that path like I have a wife I have a daughter I have a job I I, I do all that and so for me to, to participate in that game I have to play the character if I'm going to play Monopoly I need to choose a piece Right. And so it's very difficult to be, say, in a romantic relationship with yourself. That can be very tricky. Okay. Literally, if somebody says, you know, go fuck yourself, that's actually kind of close to the point. But it's difficult to be in that mentality and really get into anything. Like it's, it's just, it, it's hollow because you know, it's not real. And so to some degree, you have to choose to let that go. You have to just choose not to be aware of that all the time in order to enjoy the physicality, in order to enjoy the dualism and to enjoy the, the, the polarity of relationships and all of that. Right. But it's how much do you commit to it? How much do you get caught up in it? And I think over time, what I've realized is that once you're clear, once you've found that place, where you know this is all just a show and it is it's all just it's all just a play the world the world is a play and we are but the players right as shakespeare would put it um once you know that then you can choose how much you're going to commit to any particular relationship or any particular experience you can you can dictate how committed to that illusion you're going to become and choose you know how much of the experience you're going to to um, subject yourself to right like that's the thing it's not always easy especially when it comes to the more triggering things like anger or fear or things like that. But that's where the work comes in, where that's where the practice comes in. Like when I'm really, really afraid, it's like, sweet homework. This is, this is where I actually get to start digging at things. Right. Um, the same as when I'm, I'm really, really angry or something. It's like, aha, 
I'm holding on to something. I'm trying to get to an end result. This is all a chance for me to do self-education again, right? And uh, honestly, the, the education goes about as far as, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I see where that's going. I'm not going to commit to that anymore. And then it's gone. And then I'm no longer in the play. But it comes back down to being in that state. And, and being in that state isn't metaphysical. It has really nothing to be to, to do with communing with God or, or with spirits or anything else. And that's where we tend to get caught up because again, there's that responsibility part, right? We don't want to just be the universe. We don't want to be alone. We don't want to be God as it were. Um, but that's all preference. It's all based on, on what we think we are. And it's all based on, on opinions and, 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 and whatnot. And it all starts to disappear after a while. The more you keep going, the more you start to realize that, right. Freedom is really all this is about. This is all just about me being free in my existence, which is freedom. Like existence is freedom from non-existence. I mean, it's what do we want to do, right? And that's that's why I, I tend to focus just on on that. Like existence is it. There's no there's nothing else to attain. There's nowhere else to go, right? There's nothing to ask permission to. It's it's why I often one one thing I've said to myself is that there, there's no one to ask and nothing to ask for. You know, and that's a difficult one to get, but it's true. Yeah, I and this was something else I texted you in that very long paragraph, kind of trying to explain this um, yesterday. But it was the sort of understanding that it's there's not a right or a wrong in under like seeing this or realizing it. There's no better or worse. Everything just is, and I think the only semblance of a difference between people is understanding that it's all a game or a show or, or anything and not. And it's like, usually you think that it's not because you believe something that someone else says is the truth and you take things. It's like, whether you take everything very seriously all the time with no, you know, this isn't that serious or, you know, it's not that serious and occasionally get caught up in thinking that things are serious and then just remembering, oh, it's not that serious. And I, you know, I I've said that before and I've sort of understood that not as clearly as I do now, but I I've said it before and, and people are like, oh, you know, easy for you to say is a, you know, white, straight white male and it's like oh man there goes the identification again i don't even think i'm this straight white male like I, i'm not identifying as this like i'm you and but it's it's almost like people have become so concrete in things that they don't take any time to question it and they don't want to because it's scary but through that you know the end of that questioning is realizing, oh, it's not that serious. Like this is all for fun. Like this is all a game. It's all for show. It's all just an experience. And that doesn't mean that it's all pot. It has to be all positive. It's just an experience and positive and negative again, just goes back to your individual perception of how things are. Things just are, and it's just an experience and there is no positive or negative, right or wrong, good or bad. It's just what you do with it. Yeah, that's it. It's always, it's always what it's been, right? But it, in, in a lack of clarity, 
we end up participating in these, these habitual structures, these habitual routines, these habitual identifications and thoughts and concepts and everything else. And then because everybody around us is, is playing in those games and we grow up thinking that that's reality, we forget that it never was. We forget it was all arbitrary. We forget it's not Monday, right? It's not December. It's not 2021. It's not, you know, this, this island we're on is not called North America. Like all of that is just arbitrary. This is all stuff that we've just come up with and we're, we're making up as we go, right? And, and as soon as we come to terms with that and we go, right, right, we are doing that, aren't we? Like this doesn't have to keep going the way it has been in the same way that your life changed, right? Like you, you were going in a certain direction. All of a sudden you became aware of other options and you went, yeah, okay, I'm going to go and explore that. But you had to question the path that you were on first in order to do it, right? You had to be willing to question the stability that the path you were on previously had offered you or had promised you in order to, to see other options. And then that is what we're doing collectively and individually right now, which is again, why I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid because I'm an eternal consciousness and that everything is, is change all the time. And that, you know, as, as awareness itself, I'm not going anywhere ever, right? I am everything. So as much as nobody wants to die and nobody wants to suffer, nobody wants to see the world turn into a police state or nobody wants to see the world, you know, suffer through mass amounts of climate change and, and displacement and everything else. The fact is, is that that stuff's always been happening. At least there's no, you know, uh, super volcanoes going off, or at least there's no asteroids hitting the earth right now. Like there, there, there could be bigger concerns is what I'm saying. At least right now, the toxicity that we're dealing with collectively and individually is something that however slowly it might start is something that we can address just by exploring ourselves, just by questioning ourselves enough that it starts to inspire the people around us to question themselves, not because we're trying to, not because we're trying to get them to question themselves, but because we are so visibly fulfilled by doing so ourselves that they start to go, yeah, I want more of that. That's what I want. Right. And, and that, that's all we have to do is just keep, keep on the path you're on. Everybody who's listening to this right now is on a path and we don't, because we get so caught up in our peace, we forget that there's no division. We forget it's all one tapestry. So it, sometimes you'll feel like, oh, it doesn't matter how much I change myself. The world is still doing its thing. No, it's just, it takes time. There's a big trail behind us that's being dragged with us, right? And so just, just keep going forward. Just keep being here and the rest will follow suit. Yeah, and it's like with these understandings too, there's just, there's so much less of a rush also. Like it's, we know it's happening because, we're here now happening <laughs> and, and there's less. So, and even at an individual level, like the rush, I, I feel so much less of a pull to a need to get things done and accomplished. And it's like, it, it'll happen. Like I am the rudder of what is. And even I was thinking about, I meant to bring this up before, because something you said made me think about the idea of relaxation. And it's like, if you are comfortable, not in the sense of like comfortable, just, you know, with your life, whatever the way things are, but just like comfortable and relaxed in whatever happens, you're manifesting that state of being of relaxation. And then when things do hit the fan, you will be in that state of relaxation and, and there's certain situation, like 
we were talking about before people add so much unnecessary stress, just like, because they think there's things they should do or need to do. And those are actually very calm situations that they are making not calm. And so they are perpetuating and manifesting this state of non-relaxation and they're manifesting the state of stress when there isn't even any, and they are bringing it in because they think that things are the way they are and they need to be a certain way. And they, as a person need to be a certain way. And so then when shit actually hits the fan, they lose their fucking mind. So realizing that it is for the most part, you you don't need to bring all of that unnecessary stuff in things are okay. You probably do have enough. You don't need more all the time and striving for more and more and more and more. Like take a second, look around your odds are a lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people do have enough and understanding that then you manifest that state of relaxation, understanding those things. So then when stuff does go crazy, you've already manifested a state of relaxation. So, and you know that it's not that serious anyway. So then things will be, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Absolutely. I think the most applicable word for that is grace, Hmm. right? And that's what it is, right? You can say the grace of God or or whatever you want to call it, right? But it's just grace. It's the ability to, to just fluidly move with what's happening as what's happening without any attachment to the outcome or any attachment to a certain direction or anything. You're, you're literally just feeling the flow. It's like uh, Bruce Lee used to say that um, I don't hit my hit, my fist hits for me. And it's because, you know, the hole opens itself and, and boom, intelligence just acts if I allow it to right. Rather than trying to force it to go in a certain direction. And, and that's the point is that state of mind that you, you experienced this weekend is always available to us. It's honestly, it's just the product of what we are, which is infinite, limitless intelligence embodied. Right. But we certainly, we short circuit that process by, by putting a fiction in there and then making this thing process that fiction instead of process reality as it's being experienced. Right. And so, yeah, it throws us all out of whack. It creates conflict immediately because now we're, we're no longer in the flow. Now we're thinking about something else. It's like being in a conversation and thinking about another conversation that hasn't happened yet or happened yesterday. You're not reading those cues. You're not making the most of that experience. Right. And it's just because you're not in a state of mind where you can. And so whether it be through psychedelic, psychedelic experiences or near death experiences or, or trauma or, or, you know, just hard work looking at yourself, or if you're just lucky enough to have a moment of clarity that changes your life, that, that state of mind is the entire point. It's the entire point. And it's not something society is going to help you get to. It's not something your friends can help you get to. It's not something that anything's going to help you get to, including psychedelics. Because if you're not willing to question, if you're not willing to be uncertain, if you're not willing to, to let go of what you think you know and all of the benefits you think it gives you, then you can't get to that state of clarity where you come into alignment with the world as it is you. You can't come into that state of clarity where you are now embodying that intelligence fully and allowing it to change reality through you, right? That's the whole point. It doesn't matter how you get there, just get there. And then once you're there, you'll figure it out, but stop trying to figure out what's gonna happen once you get there. Like that's one thing it's like, well, when, when I'm enlightened, will life be like, stop it, stop. Before you even go there, it's like, there's, there's no point in telling you what enlightenment is like, because then you're just striving for an ideal, right? It doesn't work that way. Get there, 
It'll all make sense. You know, it's like the 10 commandments. It's like, you know, meet God. All of that'll make sense. Follow those commandments. You'll never meet God. Yeah. Yeah. It's like along the way, you're just manifesting a existence that is constantly in a state of seeking. And, and that's just, <laughs> it's like, what is happening with that along the way of your, and all you have to realize is there isn't, <laughs> there isn't anything to achieve or, or anything you have to do, but I guess with the questioning of things and, and it's become clear after doing psychedelics and, and kind of coming to a lot of these realizations before how psychedelics is only a tool. It's not like an end in itself. It's not going to lead to any of the things that we talk about. I think it more easily opens up a door and allows you the potential to see it maybe a little bit more clearly because you don't have so much, you know, fog in the way, but it doesn't mean that you will. And, and, uh, so I think part of the process, which, you know, I post about, and I know you post about just like questioning things and like questioning beliefs and questioning the way that things are just, just question it. If someone tells you the, the way, like what the truth is, just question it. Cause like, they're just telling you something that someone else told them, which someone else told them, which probably was misinterpreted by the person who said it. And so it's just like, the whole time, every single day, all throughout everything you're doing, just, just question it. Just say like, is this, is this the way it is? Is, are things just the way they are? Am I, you know, this human is, are my weaknesses and strengths actually my weaknesses and strengths? Or is it just part of the story I keep telling myself? And if you are able to consistently question the way that things are and the beliefs that you have about yourself and the world, then that I think eventually you get to a point that you are similar to psychedelics. You have the opportunity to see things, but it's not from settling on answers. It's not from being sure of things. It's not from being concrete in your beliefs because then you're basically just stuck in, stuck in the mud, stuck in concrete, you know? So just question everything all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Because there is a very big difference between a memorized concept and a recognized insight. Right. And that's it. It's that you can memorize concepts, but, but insights aren't conceptual. Insights are the ones that hit you so deep. You go, oh. it's not like, oh, that's interesting. That, that's a totally different thing. It's, this, it's the thing that, that shakes you so hard that your whole life has changed instantly as a result. And that's not a process of, of thinking conceptually or memorizing ideas or, or practicing ceremonies or, 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 or any of that. It's just a matter of faith, humility, Right. And self-honesty, all the stuff that, that, you know, every uh, religious avatar has ever really talked about and then got twisted into. Yeah, but you got to do it as this particular religion or you got to do it. as like, It's just so funny that, that we always end up. The truth is just right there. And then we try to make it into a concept and it becomes a coat and the coat hides the truth. And, and that's just how it goes. Right. But um, yeah, I, I'm really interested to see how the insights that you're having right now are going to continue to progress because I've been watching you since we started this podcast. You've been going through various different phases of this, of this journey. It's been very cool to watch. Um, and, and now, now you're getting to the point where, you know, it's, it's the experience of the being This is why I always find it interesting that, that in the Torah, when Moses goes to Mount Sinai and he meets God um, in, in the, in the old Testament, the, Catholic Rome, uh, Old Testament, it, when God, when Moses is like, well, who, who do I say sent me? And it says, well, I am that I am. This is God, God's response, which I always thought was actually pretty apt. 
I just exist. That's what it is, right? But in the original translation, it was the being, mm. which I think is really interesting because it's just being. It's just being. <laughs> and there's nothing left to talk about on there. And, and oddly enough, when you when you look back at, at the people who have claimed to have talked to God, what they're discussing or describing is the experience that you have, except with slightly less responsibility. Right? It's like, no, no, it was God talking to me. It's like, no, it was your intelligence echoing back. That's all it was. Right. And it's like, but I, I'm not that intelligent. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Now you now I understand why you see that division. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, since then too, cause I have, you know, if I hadn't, maybe if I had had that experience without having sort of the understandings, I would have just perceived it as what I like, if I was still, you know, take me back, I don't know, eight years. And I was still like, you know, identified as being Catholic and I had that experience. I'd be like, I, yeah, I would be like, I was in heaven talking to God. Like I saw a God and it's like, it totally makes sense. It's all based on your perception of how you're seeing it. Like even the fact that I saw soul two weeks ago, like that probably influenced why the little souls popped up like that. But I knew that wasn't. And that's why I asked like, oh, so there's a few of you immediately became one being. And then it started like, I think it turned into like a tree or something. And we're like, we're whatever you perceive us as like, we're whatever we can be everything and nothing. And yeah, it was, it was crazy. And, and it's been cool to kind of go through all of this and, and be changing along the way and be able to talk about it every week too is like awesome. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite, quite a ride for sure. And I'm, I'm excited for, you know, seeing what's to come as well. But what I was going to say before also is after with the perception of it, how if someone were to think that it was, they were to perceive it as God, they would probably, it would build up their ego quite a bit because they saw God. And for, for me, when I saw it, it's like now, like when I was walking around this morning, New York, like passing people, like I was seeing myself, I was like, that's me. And they just don't know it almost. And so it wasn't like, I, I saw myself in the video of the podcast and I was like that, like, who's that guy? <laughs> like that's, Oh, he, he's kind of making some sense right now. And it was like more of that. And it was like, there was less of me after that because I saw that it was me talking to myself. That was also everything. <laughs> And so it was like, it stripped that more so than built it up. But I can totally see how if someone had a perception and was brought up in, you know, a religious environment and had that experience or like, I was in heaven and I saw God, like, it makes sense why people have that perception or even people with, you know, near death experiences, like, you know, the priest who wrote the book when he almost died and like went to heaven, like I went to heaven. It's like, you went there. It's your perception because that's how you were brought up and you're a priest. So like, of course, if you have something like that. You're going to perceive it as being heaven, but that's just a word and God is just a word. And that's not necessarily, that doesn't mean that it's what you saw. Because what is dying other than an extreme state of relaxation, otherwise known as being high. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's the same thing. And you can, you can access that same state in your dreams. We've talked about lucid dreaming before. Um, you, you can lucid dream. You can wander around your dreams. You can do any of that. Or you can sit in that void 
just talking to your own intelligence. Like, and you can do that actively, knowing fully well that time is passing in your body and fully aware of it. And, and, and the whole wake up and you're, and you're fully rested, but your, your mind has been in the ether being, you know, whatever the hell it is. And you're aware of it at the time. It's like, uh, they, they describe it as a download. It's really not a download. And again, I'm old, you know, I, I don't look at downloads the same way, but a download is always off of something that's external, right? It's like, you know, something's giving you the information, but if it's from within you, it's not really a download. You're just accessing files that you forgot were there. It's almost more like a understanding or a remembrance almost or realization, insight, whatever. And I even, I posted a, uh, like a normal Instagram post yesterday with a picture of me um, and this clock that I have with no hands in front of me and talked about how, you know, friendly, you know, friendly reminder, time's an illusion. There's nothing more than here and now. And, and this is all a game. And I was using these words and I, made sure to clarify like these are poor descriptions of what is these are all just words they are not what is they're not what you are there this is not a game or a you know uh experience or whatever those are words this is what is and you can use any word just to describe this to remind yourself that it's not that serious and at the end of the day you know we can never do any of these things that we describe justice because the description is never the described and it never will be. So, you know, how could any word do, you know, reality or even ourselves justice? And none of it does. I mean, even take a look at the, and take a look at, uh, at the clock that right? uses as, as an example, the clock's not accurate, right? There's not 24 hours in a day. There's not 365 days in a year, right? There's 365 and a quarter in a bit whatever, right? Like everything's inaccurate. We use it for convenience. We use it for, for the sake of, of, of a tool, but then all of a sudden we start to convince ourselves that, you know, an hour or a day is 24 hours. It's like, no, no, it's not right. Or a year is 365 days. It's like, no, no, it's not. All you're doing is counting how many times we circled the earth or circled the sun. Right. So, I mean, we call it a year, we call it a day, we call it a week, but those are all just conveniences. Those are just concepts that at their root are inaccurate, which is why we have to reset our clocks and why we have to, why we have a leap year and a leap day and all this other stuff. Right. And it's just because we're just getting as close as we can to the truth and then settling. Right. And that's it. It's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we come up with seven days and, and, and 12 months. And, you know, it seems to keep things going. Let's just settle with that. It's like, Right. But can we keep in mind that it's not real while we settle with that? Like, like the Mayans did, for example, they had a calendar that was for agriculture, it was 365 and a quarter days to measure the seasons. Right. But then they had another calendar that was strictly for other things like the lunar cycles or, or for right, the cycles of consciousness. Like they had more than one calendar for different things. We have one calendar. <laughs> that's what we have. <laughs> right. And that's it. And, and we all just kind of take it for granted that that it's the truth when, in fact, it's it's really not. It's the concoction of, of some dude who decided that he was the representative of God and then had an entire uh, an entire race of people wiped out. That was it. And so we use his calendar going, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It's like not if you knew the guy, if you knew the guy, you'd want to throw that in the garbage. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that under like what I saw with that was like the real like we're not any separate there is no right or wrong but it's just i think just a slight difference in understanding where you take it all seriously and you think of it as the truth and that's it versus 
seeing it, being able to use it as a tool, being able to use this experience of duality as an experience, but remembering that it's not the truth. It's not real in that sense. It is just an experience and it's not that serious. It's just what is, but it's like that subtle difference between basically taking it all very seriously and remembering that it's not that serious. Are you committed to the duality or do you see the unity? Which is why I love the name of our podcast, right? And that's the whole thing because it's a dualistic experience that is at its core unitary. So the more we get caught up in the dual in the dualism, the less we see the how we're united, the less we see that that unity, right? And so it's not about leaving duality behind because what fun is that? But it, it's about recognizing that they're both they're both happening. They're both the truth. They're just different perspectives, right? They're just different experiences of that of existence of yourself. It's all it is, right? And if we can recognize that and just learn to see it and balance it everything changes accordingly. And, and I find that really fun to watch. I've watched it in my own life. I've watched it in other people's lives. I'm watching it in your life. I'm watching it in, in the comments and the suggestions and the questions that we get from other people. And it's inspiring because there is no greater indicator to me that we are changing this reality, this planet, this, this system or anything else other than the fact that we are questioning this with such enthusiasm. That's, that in itself inspires me daily. It's not that we're questioning it. It's not that, because that could easily be an intellectual exercise. And it often it is, you know, like, how would you change the world? Write a report, but that that's just all conceptual structure. Right. Whereas how do you feel about changing yourself? And it's like on fire. Now I'm inspired. Now I know the world is changing because of you. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And as more and more of us understand that, yeah, that fire is going to spread and things are going to change, but it's going to be an exponential and un, un, um, unexpected change. Let's put it that way, because all of a sudden it's going to go from night to day. You know, that's why Jesus was saying, you know, live like a servant whose masters might come home in the night. Right. That's what he was talking about. He was just saying, like, don't lose your path because things are going to turn sideways at some point. They're going to turn sideways hard. And everything you've been doing, everything you've been working on in yourself is going to make perfect sense. And everybody else who's been ignoring it is going to scramble because they've been wasting time. Right. And that, that's all he was saying. So, yeah, you know, be aware that it's now the moment's now. This is when things change. And it starts with you. Yeah, certainly. Um, all right. Do you think that's a good spot to wrap? Where are we at? Two, 220. All yeah. right. I knew this was going to be a long one because I, it was, it was a lot to talk about for sure. Absolutely. And I'm glad it was because episode 11, just going to say, and we didn't get into this, but we're going to very soon. Um, if, if you were to believe in angel numbers or, or numerology or any of that, then 11 is supposed to be, you know, deeply meaningful. It doesn't, of course, but I'm glad that we made it meaningful so we can discuss numerology in a future episode. Sounds great. Looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, this is this is a good one, I think, for sure. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Um, we we got to a lot, so I'm excited for people to listen to it. 
Likewise. So uh, we will see you next week, of course, for episode 12. We do have a guest coming up in a future episode. We're just waiting for confirmation there. We have a Q&A episode coming up before the end of season one. So definitely submit your questions. Join us on Patreon if you can for next Wednesday's exclusive live stream. If you have questions you'd like to talk to us directly about. And uh, aside from that, thank you so much for joining us for this extended episode. This was such a great conversation to have. I'm glad that we managed to come full circle. I knew we would eventually. Yeah. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.